Are we recording? No, too much, too much, too much, too much. Hey, everybody, welcome. Why, hello. That's not how it. Hey, everybody. Hey. We gotta, we gotta get through. We gotta. We've only done this like three hundred some odd times at this point. Is this 302? 301? 301. 301, there it is. Hey everybody, welcome to Ducks Watch Together. I'm Josh. Hi! And on today's episode, we avoid mental breakdowns, and we also talk about the top five movies of summer 2019. I'm doing great. I mean, Starbucks ruined my coffee order. Oh no. Yeah, I ordered a grande. What happened? They gave me a venti. <laughs> That's more though. Yeah! I don't want that! <laughs> I mean, you don't have to finish it. That's so much caffeine. Did did they charge you for the, the, the larger size? Yes! Oh, rude. I didn't recognize the price difference until it was too late. Alright, Josh, my number five. Well, hang on. We gotta, we gotta set this up a little bit, Kylie, because I have a feeling some of that conversation not not lasting through to the, the end of the podcast. Do you like Fast and Furious Hobbs and Shaw presents Hobbs and Shaw? No. Like, did you hate it? Yes. Okay. Should we talk about that? Yes. Okay. We can talk about it. It's not on my list. Um, what if I do the five worst? <laughs> <laughs> and then what if there's crossover? I don't think there is. I don't either. I, I don't know, Josh. I just, like, it's been tiresome. Yeah? It's a tired summer. I... Are you tired of the summer? I just, like... I don't know. Like, I went to movies, and I saw some things, and some things were good. And but, I... like, I don't... <laughs> Sorry, I keep... No, no. Good. I keep interrupting you. Do you, you want and... me to answer your question? <laughs> no, I'm in the middmiddle of the monologue. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Sometimes... Sorry. Let me know when it's not hypothetical anymore. Is the long shot on your list? Uh, does no. that not make it? It does not. Is yeah. it not on the, the timeline? It's on the cusp. It's on the timeline, though. I think so. Uh, actually, no, I don't think it is. I All think right. it came out in early... I can double-check, though. Here, here. okay, I think you it comes out in early check. May, because we were at Avengers Endgame, and then Seth Rogen had a thing. He said, we're really sad, go buy a ticket to my movie that comes out in two weeks. May 3rd, it was... It okay. was, yeah. What? I don't know, Josh. It's just like, this summer... I didn't, I didn't feel inspiration to go to the movie theater very often. Like, there were films where I like, oh, I want to go see that. But a lot of time I was like, oh, I gotta go see Stupid Lion King so I can talk about it on the stupid podcast that I've stupidly roped myself into doing. Four years ago at this point. <laughs> four years ago? I've not been back here four years. Three years ago at this point? Three. Okay. Yeah, this is All like right. close to our one year anniversary. Three year anniversary. It pretty. We're either just past it. I think we're just past it, right? We're right around. Yeah. Well, <gasps> everyone, pour one out for Suicide Squad. I'm not gonna actually pour it out. That'd be bad for the carpet. <laughs> <laughs> Your coffee would be worse than my water. Um, summer 2019 for me has been a little bit interesting because I actually, if I include a lot of the stuff that was smaller released in the beginning of the year that finally got wide distribution, which may or may not make my list. Um, I don't think the blo the studios had a good slate of movies at all. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. Annabelle 3. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. But you can find some exceptions to the rule. Um, but I don't think in general studios had a good releasing summer at all. Summer 2019, though, felt better than at least summer 2018 for me. 
because there, this list wasn't like pulling teeth to put together. And actually, a majority of my top 15 are from this summer currently um so i think on the whole like the bottom may be kind of there and the popular films in general didn't really mesh there but i think the indie film and the lighter film release um really makes up for it to be fair i don't think your last year list was that hard for you to make because you had a, a bunch of seattle films oh i did i got to go and see therefore yeah. like I was like, indies, woo! Yeah, so you yeah. follow the trend. Yeah, there you I go. Know. I When I think of summer movies, when I have that stance in my head, I always think about, like, you know, we're going to the event. <laughs> we're all, as Americans, going to put on our shoes and we're going to go out to the cinema. Okay. Uh, you're not wrong. And there was one of those that was good in April. Uh -huh. And then we went and saw John Wick 3, and we had a fun time in May. Uh-huh. And summer turned its head to us, and we went to Rocket Man, but no one else in America <laughs> did. Uh, it, it hasn't quite broke the $100 million <laughs> mark yet, but man. And no one went to go see Detective Pikachu. Enough went to enough yeah, went, yeah, but yeah. like, that also is, wasn't in the summer, and so like... Okay, I... I, there's one that I enjoyed far more than you enjoyed, which helped save July. Oh, yeah. Okay, um, yeah. And so we That's had, fair. we had a Spider-Man, you know, it was, it was pretty okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, there's even another July I thought you were saying. It's an adult film. Is it? Is it on my, the one that's on my list? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we'll get there. I think yeah, that yeah. one also was, like... It's it's different, but I agree that it mm -hmm. fits the, like, let's strap on the boots and let's all go to the movies. Especially for that film's budgets and blah, blah, blah. We'll get there. Yes. You probably already all know what it is if you have ever paid attention to anything that was happening with movies this summer. Um, that's right, so... everyone. It was a dog's journey. Yeah! Dog's Purpose 2? No. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but it's just called A Dog's Journey. Um, not to be confused with A Dog's Way Home. Not to be confused with A Dog's Way Home. No. Surprisingly not terrible. Man, I have, to, I have I still have two talking dog movies to get to this year. Three if I include Lady and the Tramp. You don't need to. I mean, I probably will. Are you getting that Disney Plus? Yes. Okay, I'll get Disney Minus. Okay, great. <laughs> That's all the stuff that they're like, no, no, you don't need this. Yeah, the Star Wars Holiday Special. <laughs> Yeah, but Disney Minus is, like, triple the price of Disney Plus. They don't really want people to see that. You know, triple the price of $7. So, yeah, you, you have know. to... You have to... You gotta get rid of your... <laughs> you gotta get rid of your um, firstborn. You have to sign their life rights yeah. away. That's what it is. They're, they're gonna become Disney employees. <laughs> yeah. All I was like, they're gonna become Disney worlds. <laughs> Disney franchises. Um... So yeah, I don't know. Summer 2019 seems okay. At the, I, I like having us done that episode a little bit ago about like the best summers of all time, just because it kind of helped me wrap my brain around something else as well. I think there's going to be films from the summer that are remembered on the whole, um, but there's also going to be a lot of the dregs of the world as well. Um... Other quick thing before we jump into the rules, provisos, the quid pro quo, so to speak. Uh, we have a format change, everybody, that I figure we should just let you all know about, rather than just being like, what's happening? 
so starting now, uh, we are going to go down to one episode a week. Um, life gets a little busy and crazy, and two episodes, I think, has just become a little bit too much for us to be able to do. Uh, we are still working a little bit on what that format is and will be. The it will st We will still have movie reviews for certain lists. Um, we may do whole list episodes. We may do smallest episodes. We may go to an hour and a half long format rather than an hour long format. We may... We're still playing with it. So... You may see a little bit of fluctuation in how long episodes are and what episodes are about as we try some things. But don't worry, everybody. You're still going to get one episode a week. Kylie, uh, question for you live on the podcast. What day of the week do you think it's going to drop? Whenever I dang well feel like it. <laughs> Our listeners need a schedule. It's been nice. <laughs> Okay, so it cannot be Monday. Okay, uh-huh. Probably not Tuesday, so I can finish my Monday work <laughs> okay. that I didn't finish. Uh-huh. Maybe like a Thursday. Let's let's go with Thursday. Let's go with let's go Thursday. Thursday. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. As you're getting ready for your weekend, you can drop it on Thursday, listen to it on Friday. Have a have a good old week with it. Oh, what's your thing? I have an inquiry of the half fortnight. Nice. What is the inquiry of the half squared fortnight? Josh, now that we're done with this stupid summer. What film are you most looking forward to for the rest of the year? So it's got it's got Saoirse, and it's got Emma Watson, and it's got Florence Pugh, and it's got Timothee Chalamet, and it's got Laura Dern and Meryl Streep, and we are all going to be excited for Greta Gerwig's next picture, because coming out Christmas Day, everybody! Get geeked! Get hyped! Little Women hype starts here. I mean, it started a while ago. Little Women is certainly the film that I'm the most looking forward to for the rest of the year. I saw that trailer. I did too, and I loved it. Oh, I hated it. Okay, why? What? Why? I just... I don't know. It, okay. It seemed at times pandering. Mm -hmm. At times, it just felt like... Like, we're... I hate the comparison. I hate the thing that I thought of as soon as I it was over with. Which is? I was like, oh, you remind me of Green Book. Let me get there. Let me get there. Let me okay. get there. Let me get there. Okay? So, Green Book is like, hey, racism's wrong. And we were all like, welcome to the table. Congratulations. <laughs> you finally got there. Yeah. And, and this film was like, women have souls and they have minds and they have thoughts of their own. And I was like, uh-huh. Yep, sexism is wrong. Welcome to the table. Okay. I haven't read all of Little Women. I know I've read the synopsis and everything, and I've read all the cliff notes. And I'm like, yes, in the time of Little Women, progressive book. Yeah. Yeah, women should be able to be writers. Good job. We did it. Okay, and I hear you with that. But I think for me, the difference between something like a green book and something like a little women is is that I don't think that little women is trying to be more than what it is. I think Green Book is and was trying to be like, "Look, we did it. We solved racism. Yeah, a white guy did it. Um, and little women, I think, is trying to represent its place in the journey that we are on today. I don't think that it would necessarily 
be say I don't think anyone or Greta not having seen the film is trying to say any more than just like this is where some people's journey in that female empowerment kind of story starts and for her she has mentioned that the the story itself is very important to her and her like development as a woman and her growing up and then she also has stated that in how she looked at the source material how she looked at the the characters is is they were the most modern women of their time and that she doesn't want to expect anything more of them than that and i think that in her way or in the film's way why we're telling little women's story now may just be to help those folks who may need its its journey now here and now and i don't know what if she's going to add anything more to it i will say that like i there are definitely some shots and some sequences in the trailer that i get strong ladybird vibes and they're, they're the same director like so it makes sense so I'm not going to say that I don't know if she's going to add any more to the conversation with the film. And that might be a totally fair criticism to, to put upon the film. I'm excited for it, but I'm also slightly hesitant in that sense of, why are you retelling Little Women right now? And what are you trying to say with it? Because she listened to our episode where we had franchise or like properties that we want to be see remade and talked about again. And you brought up Little Women. And so it's your fault. Yeah. I don't know. I just like... Nothing about it hooked me. Yeah. There wasn't, like, a moment of, like, oh, you know what? Here we go. Yeah, and I can I can see that. Because you had said pandering, and I agree. I just happen to like being pandered to. Like... <laughs> it reminds me of Endgame, when all the women came together, and they are like, we're gonna take the gauntlet! I don't know if it's that strong, but also... Women have souls and minds! Also, coming off of... Um, coming off of Lady Bird and Frances Ha, those be being two of her very strong voices, I, th I would be interested to see what she has to say with Little Women. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I did think is different about this Little Women trailer as, compo as compared to some of them in the past, there is a very strong sense of the characters having wants, needs, and desires. And I'm not sure if that specifically with Little Women has been explored before. I think there's a lot of the Joe empowerment angle, and I would be interested and fascinated to see if Greta takes it to be like, no, there's four characters here, and they all have their own wants, needs, and desires, and that we don't want to put anyone into a box. The only two characters that I actually felt that from were from Joe, who I get, I think mm -hmm. is Sir Ronan. Yes. And... Amy. Who is Florence Pugh? No. Oh, oh okay. No, I had Emma Watson. Oh, like, as Meg, yeah. Yeah, those were the only two I got that sense from. The The third part of that for me with the Florence Pugh, and I will say Beth, who... Florence Pugh, every time I see her, I don't recognize her. <laughs> because, like... She looks different in all her movies. Like, Chameleon. <laughs> like, from Lady Macbeth to... Is it, no, yeah. Lady Macbeth? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. what it was called. Lady Macbeth to fighting with my family, to Midsummer, yeah. to this. Like, I always just don't recognize her. Agreed. Until, like, I get, like, a clear shot, and I'm like, that's, that's, that's Flory Pews. <laughs> Good old Flo Pew. Yeah. Um, 
I will say for me, like, I, I hear you on Joe and Meg. Um, for me, what was there, which is different, and this might just be because I'm familiar with the book and both the previous movies, and, like, it's a story that I love. Um, they feature Amy as an artist, and they also show a secondary um, suitor for her in her later life, which they don't normally add into the movies. And so the fact that her want and desire is very clear as well. And so each of the each of the women of the story have their own artistic drive and want and need. So with that being Joe's being writing, Meg's being acting, um, Amy's being art, like drawing and painting, and Beth's being music. And so I think that that, that is also going to be an element because I saw some of that in the trailer okay. as well. Um, you did say something that also made me go like, oh no. <laughs> and it was, like, how important of a source material it was. Yeah. Which then, like, sometimes with artists who just love a source material, they don't add any of their own takes yeah. to it. And so, like, it, like it's hope, hopefully she does put something in yeah. that. But, like, I just, I need, I need the hook. All right. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, to me, why I'm looking forward to it. Like, Little Woman is... A very it's an important story to me as well. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, I'm, that's one of the things that I'm most excited for this fall. What about you, Kylie? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're like I don't know. Spies in disguise. I think that's going to be the Hotel Transylvania <laughs> of this year. It won't be the Spider-Man into the Spider Verse, but it'll be. I don't think I have a Spider-Man into the Spider Verse this year. Okay, question. Hey, yeah. Were how mm -hmm. like excited were you? For Spider-Verse before it? Um, I was, I was a, so when they first showed the trailer for it, which was like half a year in, a year in advance, it was a long time in advance, mm -hmm. and the, I think it was just the teaser, and it's when he's jumping off the building and the glass shatters, mm -hmm. I was like, okay, favorite movie. <laughs> I wasn't like that, but I was like, yeah. Like, what if we did a superhero movie that was animated? <laughs> Whoa. Whoa! Which has been done several times before, but now we're going to put it into a theater that's not made by Disney. Ooh. <laughs> so I was like, what? <laughs> so, so translation, you were like, whoa. <laughs> um... That so and then like as we led up to it, I was like I was like getting real nervous for it. Okay. Um and then like after one of the trailers, I was like, oh no, this no longer looks good. But then <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> okay, because I will say for me, um, Spider Verse came out of nowhere. Like I knew it existed, mm -hmm. but I had no expectations for it. I was like, well, okay, this should be fun, and like let's introduce Miles Morales. But yeah, the yeah. trailers also kept building on like how many people were in the film. Because at first it was like it's Miles Morales in the teaser, and we were like, yeah, and then like came. Peter Parker and we were like oh no a white guy <laughs> we're taking it from Miles and then like they're like oh Gwen Stacy's here oh uh, Peter Parker's here oh uh, Nicolas Cage is here actual Nicolas Cage pretty, not just pretty much yeah. so like it was very worrisome um <sighs> color out of space Okay. It's something that I'm pretty looking forward to. Um, Gemini Man. Mm-hmm. Gemini Man, I'm hoping. 
Ad Astra. I I, I finally I, saw the trailer for Ad Astra. Yeah, it ends with the space chase. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Ad Astra was something that I was super excited for before seeing the trailer. Then after seeing the trailer, I was no longer excited for. And then you reminded me who the director is, and I don't remember who it is. James Gray. Director <laughs> of Lost City of Zed. Yes. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, okay. And uh, and then a film came out with a certain uh, Brad Pitt, and I was like, maybe I like Brad Pitt. I do like Brad Pitt. For the first time ever. For the first time. Sorry. Uh, Yeah. So, I don't know. I I think that I want. I wish Gemini Man was more science fiction than I think we're gonna get. Can I? I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. I think Ang Lee is going to do with Gemini Man something similar that he did with this film, which listeners, I'm holding Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Not saying that he's going to make a masterpiece beyond all masterpieces. But what I do think he's trying to do is, so in this, when this came out, he was taking an old tired genre of like the samurai film and bringing it back to life by infusing it with uh, new story elements, characters, and like just taking it and looking at a different way. Gemini Man to me looks a lot like the Will Smith blockbusters of the late 90s. Um, in terms of just its story beats, him being the center focus of it, what type of character he's playing. Um, and like, I think that Ang Lee is trying to maybe recreate a blockbuster from 20 years ago and put a new spin on it, which... Because I do think that one of the things that is different from his, like, younger times is that he doesn't look like he's gonna be, like, making the jokey jokes as it goes along. Like, he's gonna be very sad. And if there is jokey jokes, it might come from the younger version. From Clive Owen. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the younger version of Will Smith, Clive Owen. Yes, of course. Okay. Can I tell you the weird thing about the Gemini Man trailer? What? So the tagline is, who will save you from yourself? Will. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it always comes right after they're like, Will Smith, who will? And I'm like, well, you just told me. It's, it's Will. <laughs> He's right there. No, not Clive Owen. Not Mary Elizabeth Winstead? Elizabeth? Nope, that's a different person. Not Scott Pilgrim Girl. What is her name? Mary Elizabeth Winstead? I feel like that's the right name. Okay. Okay, great. We're going to go with it. We're just going to rock it and be like, yeah, that's who it is. Um, the... The thing... There's one other film that I'm inter- I mean, there are multiple films that I'm interested in. Um, but we haven't, one that we haven't mentioned yet is The Lighthouse, Robert Eggers' new film. Um, which I don't know if we'll get. The Lodge is also something I'm looking in. I don't know if it's come out yet. I saw a trailer once and then I tried to find the film again and I uh-huh. could not find it. Yeah. And the only way I could find it was that it's the kid from It... And from the weird eye light midnight midnight special, that's what it was called. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of uh, he's in Knives Out. Are you excited for? Oh, Knives, Knives Out. Out! I'm on board. Let's go, Knives Out. Uh, well, I'll see if I'm free. <laughs> no, we're going in 
knives out. Uh, I, I don't know. I think I might be busy that day. No, we're, we'll find a day. <laughs> don't worry. Even if it's my... Why do I have to go to Even this? if it's my 14th showing of it, <laughs> we're gonna go. Why do I have to go? It's probably gonna be on the podcast calendar, okay? Come on, knives out. Okay. Knives out. Gosh, you're yelling. <laughs> this is not yelling. Andy of 2019. Oh, there's Parasite. We haven't talked about Parasite yet. Oh, yeah! Parasite! Bong Joon-ho's new film. The Portrait of a Woman on Fire. Also looks interesting. People like The Souvenir. Um, yep, that's somewhere streaming-ish soon. A Long Night's Journey... A Long, a long Day's Journey, Journey Tonight. tonight. <laughs> Not based on the play, but of the same name. <laughs> um... There is what else? There was something else. That, um, my brain. Oh, there's the Mr. Rogers movie with Tom Hanks. I like Muriel Heller. I like Tom Hanks. I love Mr. Rogers. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, there's lots of movies coming out, friends. If you want to tell us which one you're looking forward to, you can do so at friendofafriendpodcast.squarespace.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Leave us a five star review or any star review. So let's hit that like button there, subscribe button there, hit the button. There you go. Oh, uh, I that, hope that didn't pause our recording. Okay, it didn't. Oh, good. That helps us get more listeners. You can also find us on Facebook at Friend of a Friend Podcast. And now on with the show. No. All right, Kylie, got any uh, rules, any provisos, any uh, quid pro quos? Um, I picked the films that you hadn't picked that were in the summer. Okay. Because, I don't know, I didn't need a ton of crossover. Although, I don't really want to talk about one of them, so maybe I'll just... You can have crossover, because I'm pretty sure that one that's on my list is, like, your current number one film of the year. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, that's fine. There you go. So, number five, Hobbs and Shaw. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't give any rules or provisos. You just said you did things. You made up the rules and provisos for this list. Yeah, it had to come out during the summer. And what did you define the summer as? Because it's different than what Box Office Mojo and other things define summer as. Yeah, it's Memorial Day to Labor Day. Great. So, uh, some sites, uh, some places will describe it as the start of May to Labor Day. Mm-hmm. However, we're going Memorial Day to Labor Day. We're going classic summer movie release schedule. Because we're not in the summer in May. We're still in the school now, and we're we're all we're suffering through, and we get but we get there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but the movies are trying to help us out. They're like, here's some summer fun on your weekends. Maytime was very stressful of a, <laughs> like, month for me. And, like, I did not recognize it as summertime. I recognized it as, watch me not drive off a cliff. Fair. Time. So basically our movies had to be released into uh, the major American market during that time frame uh, not necessarily on streaming per se but out into theaters I also don't have anything that we talked about previously agreed which would mean Rocket Man Rocket is out Man. Spider-Man is out um, John Wick is out John Wick I don't think was there I think it was leaked before well either way <laughs> John Wick's out twice over wow you put two bullets in John Wick's head <laughs> <laughs> Have fun at Matrix 4. You did more than anyone in that whole movie did. <laughs> um, anything else that was uh, ruled out because of that? No. Things that are ruled out because of quality. Oh, yeah. Uh, Men in Black 4. Godzilla 4. four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Toy Story 4. I mean, listen, Toy Story 4, we already talked about it. I, it would be close. Yesterday yeah. 4. Oh, yesterday 4. Dark Phoenix 4. I don't actually know when Dark Phoenix came I, out. Uh, one of us didn't see Dark Phoenix, so... And the other one is a true fan. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I don't need to be a true fan of that <laughs> franchise. I told you, I told you I would not see that movie in theaters. And you were like, yes, you would. And I was like, no, I will not have time for it. Yeah, okay. Well, I didn't understand your time frame of life. <laughs> but had you had the availability, you probably would have gone. You are correct. <laughs> you are correct on that. Um, but I was like, I don't think I have time to see movies this summer. <laughs> Can I, it's a lot, can I put Aladdin on my list? <laughs> Aladdin, which should have just been a Bollywood movie. Josh, um, I had a similar time at Aladdin that I did at Hobbs and Shaw. Great, number five, Hobbs and Shaw. Uh, what do you want to say about Hobbs and Shaw? It's, no, Hobbs and Shaw isn't my number five. It doesn't make oh, a list. Oh, it's dumb. I, like, I just, like, I have Midsommar here, because, like, I'm, great. I got to. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, we've talked about Midsummer. I feel like after watching it and having time to process it, that, like, I've kind of just, like, come to terms with, like, mm, kind of a weird movie. Not for everybody. Some people love it. Great for them. I'm pretty indifferent. Creative artistic choices. I'm excited to see what else Ari Aster can do. Ditto. Yeah. Yeah. I All don't, right, Josh, what's your number? I don't think I have a lot more to add to that conversation. I, I finally did it, though. Like, if you look at my rankings, I finally put my heart in front of my, my head. Uh-huh. Annabelle Creation is above Midsommar now. <laughs> it's like three above it. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's good filmmaking. It's just not for me. And I don't also, the, apparently he released his 45 minute longer director's cut into theaters. I don't need that either. It's fine. I, yeah. I just, I don't think he has as much to say as he wants to, but in, in a weird way, I feel like this is a good example of a sophomore slump. I don't think that it's a bad film by any means. I just don't think that it's as clean and crisp and clear as his debut feature. And I'm excited to see what Ari Aster comes back with, with having more time to work on something. I also wonder, I mean, like, with when he talks about Hereditary, like... In order to get the script sold and everything, he had to make it a horror film. And that film has much more horror elements strung through it all t strung through it all together. Yeah. Though at the end that's where it really like kabooms. Yeah. Um, however with Midsummer, those horror elements are not really there until like a weird moment at the end. Yeah. But like it it, it doesn't feel it's not as clean as one at, at, to get from the beginning to the end. Yeah. Um, Florence Pugh is the thing that really drives it. And she's great. She really is awesome in the role. And I even like... I think everyone does well yeah, in their yeah, performances. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just don't think that some of the other characters are all are as interesting or well-defined. And it, they come off as just like, oh, they're jerky jerks. Yeah. And it's like... Yeah. And Will Poulter, most amongst them, mm -hmm. is very one-note jerky-jerk. I will say that um, Jack Rayner, who plays her boyfriend, and I don't remember the actor's name, but Cheedy um, from The Good Place, also, it, they're given more to do, mm -hmm. but they're still one... Like, they all kind of... Those three serve one singular purpose in the film. His name is William Jackson Harper. Cool. 
There you go. Um, my number five is Late Night, starring um, Mindy Kaling and Emma Thompson. Uh, I'm not going to go to bat for Late Night being like this be all and all amazing film. I really liked it, though. Uh, I thought that... A film like Late Night, which if you're not aware of what it is, it is the story of Emma Thompson's character who is a late night talk show host and she's the only female talk show host on the air and she's within one year of possibly being cancelled so she tries to shake up the system and brings on Kelly Kapoor's... Kelly Kapoor. um, That's her office character. Um, Mindy Kaling as this new writer to to her staff. What I really like about this movie in many ways is um, Mindy Kaling is not like her office character, which is why her name popped in my brain. She's a much softer character and she's she's kind of the heart of the film. Um, and, and the relationship between Emma Thompson and Mindy Kaling is what really holds this film together for me. I think that around that there are some caricatures that I don't love. Um, and I think that the film... Yeah, the, the men. The men, yes. <laughs> um, and All I, of them. Yes. Maybe except for John Lithgow, but... Yeah, Lithgow is solid in the film as well. Um, and then... There's a writer's room. Yes. And every time you're in the writer's room, <laughs> it's just like... You kind of understand why Emma Thompson just calls them by numbers instead of their actual name. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I get it. I, I'm with you. That's the way I should have done it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> One, two, three, four, five. Um, I will say that the film, I think, follows a very standard plot-by-plot beat of what, um, you think the movie's gonna do. It is a dramedy in the sense of there is comedy, uh, and drama, um, and it's nothing super special, but the story itself really worked on me. I liked seeing what this Emma Thompson character had to go through to keep her spot, and why that her spot was important to her, and I wish that it had maybe taken some time to explore the larger universe a little bit, and it doesn't do that. But with what we get, um, I really enjoyed this movie. I think it's worth your time, I think it's worthwhile. I'm sad that it was a huge flop. I don't think that it deserves necessarily that status, um, because Amazon is now rethinking its buying strategies and its releasing strategies because this movie flopped so hard. And I hope that it doesn't change them releasing or how they release movies into theaters. Um, but yeah, this, I like Late Night. Emma Thompson's performance in particular, I think is really good. Emma Thompson, always great, but I, I think she adds a lot of layers to her character and it's worth, worth your time when it eventually appears on Amazon Prime, because this is where it will be. It's also, it's also one of the first films that directly addresses the Me Too movement. Yeah. Um, however, it does it in a way that is unsuspecting. Mm-hmm. And, and, and different, though also still something that needs to be brought up. Um, which, like, this isn't a knock on the film, but it's somewhat infuriating that um, the first film that kind of comes out of the gate with it is a film focused on women yeah. and not focused on men. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wh- which, like, oh, I'm complaining that this is focused on women <laughs> and not on men. <laughs> <laughs> I think the complaint there, if I can articulate it a little bit, mm-hmm. is that 
we are seeing the actions of a Me Too character. Mm-hmm. It's just that Me Too character happens to be a woman, whereas I think it would be more satisfying in, a, in and maybe not even in this film, in a different film, for us to look at that from the point of view of a male character and see how that has affected things. Yeah. Yeah. Which um, is, that's my complaint. Yeah. And Mindy Kaling wrote the wrote film, the um, and I can't remember who directed it. Misha... Um, Gen- Gennarda Gennatra of Pete's Christmas, of course. Oh, yes. Yeah. And The Hunters and Cake. Cake was a film. That's the Jennifer Aniston film? No. Oh. That, not, no. There's a Jennifer Aniston film called Cake. Yeah. yeah. Um. This is from 2005 with Heather Graham and Tay Diggs. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I thought Late Night... I thought Late Night was a good time and a good film. It's, like, my number ten right now. Yeah. Um, but I do think that it doesn't... As you were saying, it doesn't explore further this woman in the society of the late night and, yeah. like, the talk show and the entertainment business. And that's one of the reasons why it kind of fell a little bit more short for me yeah. is that it doesn't feel like... Like, it sets up to, like, make the punch, and then it Especially back. with the Ike Barinholtz character. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, so that, that was just something, that was one of the reasons why Late Night isn't as high for me, high of a film for me, but I do think it's good, and I do think that Emma Thompson is very good in it. I, I even think Mindy Kaling is pretty good in it. I'm not a huge Mindy Kaling fan, just because I haven't seen a lot of her work. Right. Um, before this, I feel like... A Wrinkle in Time was her only <laughs> other film I'd seen. Right. Where she plays, like, a very significant character. Yeah. So. Um, I like Mindy Kaling most as, I think, a writer. I lied. I lied. Yeah. Ocean's 8. Ocean's 8. There uh, it is. I loved her in that. I will say I have enjoyed Mindy Kaling outside of The Office more than I enjoy her on The Office. And so, and I've not seen the Mindy Project, though I think, based off hearing her voice in other projects that she's written and been involved with, I think I would like the Mindy Project. But I have been described that her character in The Office is similar to her character in Inside Out. What are your, what is your stance? Yes. Okay. But the Inside Out character is much softer, and I will say (laughs) that... The office character is much more of a stereotype. Okay. Not necessarily a stereotype of, of like, her ethnicity, but, like, she's kind of like a cool girl stereotype. She's like, yeah, and, like, a mean girl type stereotype is okay. what she is. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, hey, Kylie, what's your number four? I don't know. <laughs> Hobbs and Shaw! <laughs> A dog's journey. Oh man! <laughs> this is a do- this is the sequel to Dog's Purpose. <laughs> yeah, Dog's Purpose Two. Josh, God, I haven't seen this one yet. Hi. I was about a dog. Oh, okay. He's got a journey. Summer of Quaid. I do not think that I won. The Intruder did not come out during the summer. <laughs> came out in May. It's summer in my brain. And two, we all forgot both of those films. Summer of Quaid. Uh, that trailer. Of the dog's journey, just like best short film, <laughs> just like tears every single time I saw it. So, friends, if you're into the SATs, uh, Kylie is to the dog's journey trailer as Josh is to the Star is Born trailer. Did you know that those yes. are not on the SAT? Like they're not anymore. Oh, why not? 
because they are testing more important things. <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, a dog's journey is very. A, a dog's journey is a talking dog film. No, sorry. no, no, no! You say that proudly. Starring Josh Gad uh-huh. as a talking dog named. Lots of things. Bailey, uh, Bailey, Bailey, Bailey. Well, at one point. Yeah. So Boss Dog. Boss yeah. Dog is um, Big Dog is uh-huh. one of his names at one point. Um, I don't remember what his name is when the girl is a little girl, but he's following this life of, like, Dennis Quaid's wife's granddaughter and, like, yeah. Dennis Quaid's wife's granddaughter? Yeah. So, like, it's, like, like his granddaughter, but, like, he's not... Related to her. Okay, so if I'm... So from... From the first dog's purpose. Yes. So Britt Robertson... Right where it... Yes. Is the younger version of his wife. Uh Uh-huh. But, like, they grow apart... They're, like, they grow up and they have lives and they get back together when they're old Bailey brings them back together. Okay, Bailey, 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 Bailey. Yeah. Full names, please. Bailey, 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 Bailey. Um... Yeah, and so, like, essentially, like, this granddaughter has to go off on her own, and we're exploring her life through the context of the dog's eyes, and, like, there are times in the film where the film is, like, a little bit too, like, (laughs) soap opera-y, but, like, as you're watching it, you're just like, oh, yeah, this dog (laughs) is gonna come in and it's gonna fix everything. Good job, boss dog. (laughs) It was a very good boss dog. How is Josh Gad's performance? You know what? Josh Gad, I think, knows his career. <laughs> he does. He's is, solid, yeah. Is to be in a talking dog and to be... There can't be another one of these. Uh, a talking dog and... Oh, man. A talking snowman. And that is all he needs to be. And sometimes he's on screen, like, making, like, comedy faces. When was the last time I saw him on screen? 2017's Beauty and the Beast? No, Marshall. Oh, you're right. Oh, Marshall's so good. He might have been in something else besides Marshall. Beyond Marshall, but... Marshall's so good. Yeah, but it's not about Thurgood Marshall. It's about Josh Gad. Marshall is not what I was saying is good. (laughs) He was very good at it. Yes, no, yeah. Um, I don't... Yeah, I don't... (laughs) I Uh, wept in the theater. What do you people want from me? Friendship sometimes transcend lifetimes. It's about a dog. We all, like, get sad when dogs die, and we're watching these people's lives as they have to lose their dog, and you're just, you're sad this whole time. Okay. And, like, you care about this girl who you are getting and understanding through the context of the dog's eyes because her mom is a terrible mother to this child, and you just want this girl to, like, have a good life, and you're just, like, so worried about her. The girl's name's CJ, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, so- At one point, she's... Um, she's a little girl from Ant-Man and the Wasp. Ant-Man? Grace? No. Oh, no. <laughs> Grace is not in Ant-Man and the Wasp. She plays, uh, Cassie. I don't know her actress name either. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, in my brain, like, small child right now, McKenna Grace? Is that... You sometimes don't recognize McKenna Grace. Often I don't recognize McKenna Grace. Oh, Florence Pugh. Chameleon. <laughs> Uh, so, what's the one starring your all-time favorite actor in all the land, Bryce Dallas Howard? Uh, A Dog's Way Home. A Dog's Way Home. Because that so, one is trying to get home. However, <laughs> this dog is on a journey. And the journey, like, like... Yeah, that one's a Homeward Bound remake. Got it. 
What? No. Dog's Way Home is a Homer Bound remake. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Pretty much. Sure. Yeah. No sassy cat, though. Oh, that's the one that I miss. <laughs> uh, so you had me watch that one. Not terrible. I didn't have you watch it. I said, do you want to watch it? <laughs> yes. Sorry. Yes. Uh, not terrible. All right. So in the official, because there's going to be four of these by the end of this whole thing. We've got our talking dog movie ranks. Of the year? Or well, of, of, sure, of just of the year. What's the fourth one? So we've got uh, Dog's Way Home. Sure. Dog's Purpose 2. Uh-huh. Dog's Journey. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, racing in the Rain. The Art of Racing the in the Rain. The Art of Racing in the Rain and Lady and the Tramp. Yeah, one of those, it's not really a movie, it's a TV. <laughs> <laughs> Are you asking which one will be the best? Yeah, what do you think? What's what's going number one? Um. Well, I have oh, it's either Art of Racing in the Rain or it's a Dog's Journey. Okay. I think will be number All right. one. Now, if you had to keep, put a dog's purpose in here, just you know, where's where's dog's purpose going so far? That's a really good question. Yeah. A dog's purpose. I have a dog's purpose and a dog's journey are right near each other. I did not cry as much for a dog's purpose as I did a dog's journey. Okay. <laughs> openly weeping oh my gosh josh it's just like <laughs> it's a stupid dog movie don't josh, worry kylie kylie don't I worry just, i was openly now I'm weeping about the trailer <laughs> <laughs> i was openly weeping at other movies this summer it's fine we'll get there it's basically the same um my number four. Oh, i gotta what's my number four Oh, my number four is a movie that I think we're going to talk about more later on your list. Did you end up putting it there? No. Okay, uh, my number four is The Farewell. Yeah, no, Josh, I didn't put any of your films on my <laughs> list. That's why we're talking about a dog's journey. <laughs> I don't know why. How much... Okay, had we... Had How much we, effort did I put into this? No, 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 I know that answer. Um, had you not avoided crossover, how much crossover would we have had? Three. <laughs> Probably three. Three? Okay, awesome. Maybe four. <laughs> Real stretching. <laughs> um, alright. The Farewell. I feel like... I don't know if I'm a person to, like, do the intro and, like, talk about The Farewell first. Because it's not as high on my list as it would have been on yours. Um, it is, I think, in my top five movies of the year so far, and I really liked The Farewell. Um, so if you're not, um, aware of what The Farewell is, it's a mostly, uh, it's a film that's in, mostly in Chinese, and it is starring Aquafina as this girl whose family moved to New York when she was very, very young. It's your number six. It's my number six, okay. Um... And she's starting, she grows up in America and has a little bit of a different value system from her family that lives in China. And in China, it is tradition that you... Maybe not tradition, but more of a social norm. A social norm that if someone is diagnosed with a terminal illness, that you don't tell them. You let them just live out their life in peace and joy, and then every, you know everybody else kind of gets to deal with what that means um and Aquafina's character in particular having grown up in America struggles with this choice and I think that's I think the, her name's Billy Billy is right um Billy struggles with this choice and I think that that's the main crux in terms of 
plot in this film. And what ends up happening is they go back to China for a pretend wedding, which is actually just everybody's excuse to say goodbye to uh, Nai Nai. I don't know if you ever got my text. Oh, I may not have. Um, but I, 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 you never strictly addressed it. So you either got it and you didn't respond to it because I sent another text immediately <laughs> afterwards, or you never got it. But I said I want a remake of the farewell, but from a perspective from, from the perspective of a different character. Okay. And that character is so. There's this fake wedding, <laughs> and the bride doesn't speak Chinese. She's from Japan. <laughs> I want the this film from her perspective. Agreed. It's a horror movie, perhaps. <laughs> Can we just rush him on this? <laughs> just like everybody's point of view. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, I was just like, what are your thoughts on all of this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Agreed. That one of the things I do like about the film is like you legit could rush him on it, and I think you can in your brain do this because. All of the characters on screen are very well thought out. You understand where they're coming from. There's a family that's being portrayed on this screen. And it's this really beautiful story that's told about how each character deals with this this issue, this lie, so to speak. Um, and while Aquafina's character is our protagonist of the film, I think that every character gets their own due. And every character gets to deal with it and process it in their way. Um, it's a beautifully shot. Lulu Wang, the director, really composes a gorgeous, stunning film that's slow but intentionally so to where you're living in these moments. And there's these just gorgeously stunning shots of this family processing what this means and how do we process this old tradition or this old um, social norm. Social norm in our contemporary world, mm -hmm. you know, and, and or even in the context of an American view, yeah, and like comparing it to the American um, value and morals, and how does that reflect? And even if you think about it, because Aquafina, Aquafina, more or less, is an American, yes, and we can put ourselves in those shoes. And so, like, if you were told you can't tell your family members that they are dying, like, how does that? How do you react to that? Uh, something that I like about this is that the family dynamics feel very much, very, feel very natural because when you're in scenes where the grandmother is there, mm -hmm. it's very much like this happy family thing. Like when the whole family is all together, it very much reminded me of like my own grandfather's funeral where when everyone was there, it was like we were all getting along and we were all positive and happy. But when we were split off into different sectors, mm -hmm. um, like, that's where a little bit more of the tension or the more negative emotions started coming yeah. out. And that's exactly how this film goes, where she, when she's interacting with other characters. Yeah. Um, and even though, like, <clears throat> even though there aren't always interaction with Billy and the rest of her family, like, her and her cousin don't get very much together. Yeah. There are those scenes where, like... There aren't very many words spoken between them, but you feel their relationship and you feel the relationship between her and her grandmother very well yeah. established. And it's set up really well in just a few moments and lines of dialogue so that when there are 
those little scenes together, they actually are very impactful. Um, you admit, even by you saying that, like, her and her cousin don't have a lot of screen time together, I, like, that was a moment for me being like, oh, but they, and I was like, oh, they don't. But their relationship feels so real that, like, I could sit here and tell you about, like, oh, yeah, but this is how they feel about each other. And, like, I get how they're probably actually coming at this from very different ways and yet feeling very similarly because of their age and their difference. And, like, but that's, none of that is said. Yeah. None of that is, in, uh, but it's clear in, in the dynamics. And the cousin himself doesn't get to share his own feelings with it verbally. There are some emotional facial expressions and acting with it but also her cousin has his own different viewpoint because he's from he grew up in japan yeah and so like and you get you even get that from the film even though he's never like well as a japanese uh citizen this is how i feel which in a lot of times we feel the need to say things rather than show it and i think that lulu yang wong uh, lulu wong lulu wong has done a very good job of getting... Wang, I'm sorry, it's W-A-N-G. Lulu Wang, <laughs> sorry. A, a very good job of showing different perspectives and giving that without us just straight up, like, saying it. Yeah. Um, there's a line in the film that comes from a bellhop, and um, basically he's asking Aquafina's character... Um, if she prefers China or America. And Aquafina's character's answer to this question is... They're it's different. different. It's different. You know, and, and he keeps trying to push, like, that kind of, like, but pick one, pick one. And her response is, 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 is it's different. And I think that that's one of the really crucial, critical themes to The Farewell, is that I don't think that it's trying to say that American culture or Chinese culture or Japanese culture is better than any other culture. I think that they're just trying to say that they're different and it's within that difference that we need to come find that common ground and accept each other for who we who we are in our in our social norms and our societal things. Another way that theme is explored is in probably my favorite supporting character of the film who's not like Aquafina and Grandma and that's uh, her uncle um, the one who who is in Japan and he's probably the adult character or adult but the like that generation character that's given the most screen time and the most thought to but he represents in a lot of ways and talks about the differences between. It's very important we don't tell her. It's very important. Yeah. We don't tell her. Yes. <laughs> I know, Uncle. I, I, I know. know. <laughs> he talks a lot about the difference between Eastern culture and Western culture. And I think that just represents the themes really well. Uh, there's the, a scene between... It's a very small scene that's lit and shot beautifully, but it's between her uncle, her father, and Aquafina's character, Billy, where she comes in and asks for a cigarette. And they're like, you don't smoke, why do you want one? And so just that whole dynamic and the where that scene goes, I think is really beautiful. It's one of my favorite moments in the whole thing. Also, it's nice that Aquafina isn't just the jokey jokes. Because uh, yes. l- last summer, summer of Aquafina. The water? <laughs> last summer, Ocean's 8 was on my list. <laughs> Oh, Mindy <laughs> Kaling, Aquafina. Oh. Oh. <laughs> and they neither of them made my list this year. Um, where like in Ocean's Eight, she stuck out because she was just weird. Yeah. And in um, in but 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 Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, there it is. Yeah. She 
stuck out because she was the one delivering the straight up jokey jokes yeah. as daughter of Ken Ken Jong. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who also straight up jokey jokes. Yeah. yeah. So it, it was nice to get like when I was like, oh, I don't know if in a serious movie. Yeah. Like, so like outdoing my expectations. There you go. Yeah. Um, I will say that it's a little bit further down the list for me. Only because I think I had stronger emotional responses to other films. And that's that's literally it. I love this film a lot. But for, the, for me, there was just other things that peaked. And I think that's just personal taste. And again, I love this film a lot. But yeah. Oh, that scene where she's just trying to run down the street. <laughs> yep. <sighs> hey, Kylie. What? What's your number three? <laughs> What's up? So sorry. There are still six films we have to talk about, Kylie. Uh, but we already talked about my number one. Did we? Yeah. Of the of the year. <laughs> oh, fair. Um. Dora and the Lost City of Gold. Dora and the Lost City of Gold. Does this count as our? Or, wait, hang on. How much are we doing on this? Do we are we doing an emergency Eugenio on this? Oh yeah, let's do it real quick. Okay. If we didn't see Angry Birds to the highest. The highest rated Rotten Tomato video game movie. Okay, why don't we do this? We're going to give you an emergency Eugenio. It'll happen, but we're going to do it for both Dora okay. and um, Angry Birds. We just have to see Angry Birds. Yeah. It was, August was crazy. August was crazy, and Eugenio released two films on back-to-back weeks. Come on, Eugenio! Okay, so I won't talk about Eugenio at all. So Dora the Lost City of Gold. Minus Eugenio. Okay, so like, this is a film... Made for the the youthlings. I wouldn't so much say this is a family film. I think it is. I wouldn't. Say <laughs> when I think of family films, I think of more of like a Pixar-y thing, where like okay. there is somewhat okay. more of a mature tone to it, but there is still stuff for every. I agree with you on that sense. Okay. Yes. So, uh, but I went to Dora the Explorer thinking, I just hope this is bonkers. <laughs> And it was pretty bonkers. <laughs> and they went, oh, Kylie, we're here for you. We're here for you, Kylie. Yeah. It, this, this film is insane. Which I guess, <laughs> if you're going to make a Dora the Explorer film... Dora and the Lost City of Gold. Okay, well, listen to my sentence. Oh, sorry. So sorry. If you're going to make a Dora the Explorer film, this is how you're going to go okay. forth and do sorry. it. Sorry, I was like, we got to full title it. I know. <laughs> um... I think that in one of the trailers, what really caught me was when she was like, Mom, this is Delicioso, and she looks directly to camera, can you say Delicioso? And then Evil Longoria and Michael Pena were like, oh, yikes. And we were, and from there I was like, oh, you're self-referential to yourself. You understand, like, because that's the thing from the show, a little bit of the ridiculousness. And, but something that I think about the, what I like, most about this film is that the actors themselves, especially Dora, don't feel like, oh, we're just making fun of this because it's stupid. That actress, Isabella something. Yeah, I don't know her last name either. Um, is so genuine. She is. As her portrayal of Dora that I was like, oh, excellent. Like, someone is taking this with the full, uh, with a full respect that it deserves and it needs in order for this to work out. I would dare say they're giving it more gravitas than it deserves, <laughs> which is perfect mm-hmm. for the film. Uh, 
and and something about this film that I appreciate is that a lot of the a lot of the beats that I thought were going to be there that are in many other films that are of similar kind of stature weren't there. There's this particular scene where her and her cousin she's uh, embarrassed him at the dance and he says, why can't you just be normal? And I was like, oh, the next day Dora's gonna try and be normal and she's not gonna be herself. And we're gonna have to go through this journey of Dora realizing that she's unique and she needs to be herself. It's okay to be an explorer. And that's not what happened. (laughs) Dora continued to be herself and everyone else needed to learn, oh, maybe we need to accept Dora. And that's the twist that this film has that I appreciate. It's gonna come again to this common theme of like movies that I appreciate are about accepting others for who they are and not trying to change them. And that's what I like about this film. I like that it does that. I will say that I have no history with Dora the Explorer outside of some classes themed to Dora that I have taught. Um, I was worried, and I don't necessarily think the like direct reference to camera bits and then her, them being like, oh, she's she a little crazy, but it's okay. We love her anyway. I, none of those personally worked for me. Um, but I could see where and how that they could work for an audience. And so it didn't, it, and there also wasn't a lot of them cause they were peppered throughout the trailer. And so I thought it was going to be the whole film. She starts it in the beginning. Yeah. She does like four in a row and yeah. then after that, it's done. It's done. And yeah. we're like, oh, this is, this is good. There's a fox. There's a fox. <laughs> it's voiced by Benicio Del Toro. Okay. And it's also like even using <laughs> the film's logic, these kids are dumb because it's very clearly set up. He stops stealing when you say swiper, no swiping. Three times. That's not set up in the film. Three times. Alright, okay. So, if that's the case, either way, he swipes some things. That's why he keeps going, because they don't get to the three. They they barely say it. Yeah, if you get all the way through the three, he's done. And if you don't get through the three, you have to then go on a side quest to go (laughs) steal back whatever he stole. Alright, well, (laughs) I guess fair enough. I washed my hands of that one. Um, <laughs> it was fun. I loved... I, this movie was a good time. There's a sequence where we get to the animated Dora, and it's adorable, and also crazy. Um, I took my nieces. We all had a great time. Like, this is Indiana Jones for five-year-olds. Like, great. Let's do it. Oh, I need to check something, because I need to know whether I need to end you or not. End me? Yeah. Oh, uh, my... Uh, while you're checking this, uh, my basic kind of thoughts on this are like... This is this generation's Scooby-Doo, or Speed Racer, or The Flintstones, or Popeye. Like, like the it, cartoon or the film? The films. Oh, okay. They're all live-action updates or, re- or reimaginings of animated properties brought to life for... I, and I say those ones because I think the younger generation who watches those films as kids has refer- has reverence for them, but I think that the adults, not so much. And I could see adults going into Dora and the Lost City of Gold and being like, this is dumb and annoying, but I guess my kids like it, so whatever. Um, however, I think there's more value to it. And I like this movie. Am I going to die? Am I going to be murdered? I just... I gave the film three and a half stars. What do you want from me? Uh, on your best of the year, Oh Hooray We Did It, is not on your best original song. Okay, so I was <laughs> I, I have some questions. Because I best original song is very hard to do research on. Uh-huh. So I don't know what qualifies and what doesn't. And I didn't know if Oh Hooray We Did It was like 
a, a remake of, like, the theme song or something along those lines that would disqualify it. I mean, there is a version of We Did It, Hooray, but it's not Oh, oh Hooray, We Did It. Is that Oh, Hooray, We Did It, is that the last song of the movie? Yes. Okay, then, thumbs up, it's going to get there, okay. no worries. This is how they end, this is usually how it ends. <laughs> this is usually how the TV show ends. With a dance number? No. Oh. Sorry, this is an ad. We did it! We did it! Hooray! We did it! Alright, I will I will give this consideration in the original song, because I didn't know it was there. I will say, though, I was jamming out to Yo Soy, which was the song on the trailer. I've literally put on, like, three playlists. Oh, hooray, we did it. Yeah. Oh, oh hooray, we did it. Alright. Yeah. It's better than I can't let you throw yourself away. Disagree. Ed. <laughs> That's a stupid song. I can't let you. I can't let you. I can't let you throw yourself away. It's so dumb. I, I love it. Like, Kylie, we all. I'm. I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for you because you need to get used to the fact that when the Oscar nominations come out. Randall Newman is going to be there for I Can't Let You Throw Yourself Away. And he's a strong contender to win. I'm gonna kill myself. <laughs> but you need to just like... <laughs> I. He may not win. Elton's gonna be there. It's T-Swift's such... gonna be there. Beyonce's gonna be T there. T-Swift for what? Uh, I think she's got an original thing for cats. Um... <laughs> huh. Okay. So like... <laughs> He may not win, but I Can't Let You Throw Yourself Away is going to be Oscar nominated. There's... Uh, unless Randy commits a crime before between now and then. What are you going to do to Randy Newman? Nothing. He's going to commit the crime. <laughs> How are you going to get Randy Newman to commit a crime? Oh, Joshua... I'll figure it out. The man who was literally like, What's a bug? There's a bug. Little bug. Singing about monsters. <laughs> My name is James. I like Randy Newman, okay? He's proof that you don't have to be great to be successful. You're right. He is proof that you don't have to have talent to be successful. Yeah, you just have to have a dad who was in the industry. You just have to repeat the same lyric three times in a row. Over a cloudy background, and everyone's on board. Swiper, no swiping. <laughs> Swiper, no swiping. Yeah, it's good. Solid. Good times. All right, number three. Your was Dora. <sighs> Sorry, Josh. What should it have been? I don't know. I... It's been a summer. Don't worry. I, apparently, I got I got all the movies over here. No worries. Yeah, you have the films. I uh... have the movies. <laughs> all right. Uh, my number three is. Uh, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I will say for me, just flat out going in, there was a lot of things about this movie that are catnip for me. Quentin Tarantino not being one of them. It's a, it's a movie about old Hollywood. It's a movie that's like, let's make some movies in this movie. It's a movie with Brad Pitt. It's like... It's just about, like, let's celebrate classic Hollywood in lots of ways, even though we're going to look at it with a critical eye. And then there's the Quentin Tarantino aspect of it, and I have to say I like Tarantino as a filmmaker. I, I as a person, 
problematic. But not... As a filmmaker, problematic. <laughs> yes. But... But not in the sense of I'm not necessarily wanting to not support him as a filmmaker. I mean, I wouldn't avoid his films if they looked good to me. Um, that being said, I rather enjoyed A Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I think that it is probably one of Tarantino's more mature efforts. Um, he's... I'm coming to the point with Tarantino, and then we watched most of his movies again this summer. Um, I think the things that, I mean, the ones that I for sure didn't watch, I don't know about you, I didn't watch either of the Kill Bills. I didn't watch them this summer, but we've, I have seen them both recently-ish, like yeah. within a year. I didn't rewatch Hateful Eight. I didn't rewatch that either. Death Proof. Nope. And I did not watch Django and Django, Jade. yeah. Um, but so, yes. We, <laughs> so we watched... Half. <laughs> Half. But I also, for me, count the Kill Bills because we, I watched them within the last year. Um, so, like, those are still kind of fresh in my brain as well. Um, I would have got back to Django if I had time, but I just didn't. Um, I like Tarantino when he's actually trying to make some commentary on things. And I think he is here. I think that with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he understands his role now. He's an older filmmaker in Hollywood. He is on the, the the back half of his career and he's able to be a little bit more reflective about it and he's reflective about the times and how they're changing and I also think that while I'm not sure if Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a direct commentary on the Me Too movement I do think that it is a commentary on the tumult and and torment that's happening in the industry right now, in the change that it's going in. And to me, that's where I look at this film and I see its value. The, it is a film that tells the story of Rick Dalton, who is a aging actor who is definitely a has-been, maybe a never-was, um, but he's on the outskirts of society, and he's look, of Hollywood society, and he's looking in. And he's got this buddy, Brad Pitt, who is even more on the outskirts of society. Yeah, because he might have killed his wife. Because he might have killed his wife. On purpose. Very deserved. Um, and so they're trying to make their way through Hollywood 1969, while at the same time, the film tangentially dovetails into the Sharon Tate story and the Charlie Manson murders. And I say the word tangentially because I think that in some the Sharon Tate is a central figure in this story, but I don't believe Charlie Manson or any of the stuff at Spawn Ranch is is m anything more than a tangent to this story. Much in the way that in like an Inglorious Bastards, uh, the sequence in the bar with uh, Fassbender is a tangent. It's kind of a, a character tangent, but a tangent nonetheless. So, when looking at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I wanted to figure out like what it was that was really interesting to me about the film and why it works so well, besides the whole, like, a movie about movies catnip stuff. And I think for me, it's, it lies within its three central characters, which is Rick, who's played by Leonardo DiCaprio, Cliff, who's played by Brad Pitt, and uh, Sharon Tate, who's played by Margot Robbie. And 
what I found in this, at least, because I saw it twice, and what I saw in it the second time through is... You saw it twice in one day. Yeah, I did in see it one, twice. In one, pretty much only, almost one city. It, yeah, I literally, the only movement was go meet Anne in the parking lot and go back to the theater. Um... And what I saw in it the second time around is I think Tarantino is commenting on himself in Hollywood, Hollywood's issues, and this idea of what Hollywood is in its imagination. The mythological Hollywood that it wants to be there. And the mythological Hollywood is... Rep- it's a fairy tale. It's a fairy tale. It Once is a fairy time. tale in so many ways. And that is represented in the Sharon Tate character. That's why she's here. That's what she does. She... It represents everything that this mythological dream of what Hollywood wants to portray itself as and is what Tarantino wanted Hollywood to be for him. And that's what he thought he was getting into, so to speak. Is he Leonardo DiCaprio? I think that each of these three characters are a part of him and his psyche. Um, I think he probably sees himself now a little bit as the Leonardo DiCaprio character because he was, he had a moment, he's still having a a big part of Hollywood, but in his brain, he's not as a part of the conversation as he would want to be. Because I don't think Tarantino has really had a flop or like a, like, a like real downtread since like Death Proof. I know that... Hateful Eight, a lot of people didn't like it, but a lot of people did like it. Yeah. Like, that was, like, that was that was one where I was a little bit more split, but I still think it was yeah. financially successful. It was financially a success, yeah. And, like, at the time, it was still something, like, in our, like, mindset. Yeah. He's not a, he's not a director... Uh, I'm gonna. I'm. This is the only director I can really think of right now that fits, and I'm sorry, and I'm not making this straight comparison. Right. Woody Allen reminds me of. He's not the Woody Allen, and this is Woody Allen pre the whole Me, Me Too, where we canceled him officially, even though we kind of already canceled him. Yeah. Where Woody Allen made tons of film. Mm-hmm. But we stopped caring post really blue jasmine yeah like we just didn't really care after yeah. that point um but tarantino he when he makes a film we care we're all like yeah we're still we're still there and so he's one of those he's a director who still grabs our attention when he does something yeah not and is continuing to be able to work in this and i think part of that is is he spaces himself out mm-hmm. he's not always around um, he's around in terms of, like, Quentin Tarantino is one of the more famous directors in film, period. He's a lot like, um, he's a lot like, um, Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good comparison, too. Mm-hmm. Um, he's... <laughs> and so, with, with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood coming off of Hateful Eight and Django, which I think were successes commercially, but maybe not as successes critically, and definitely not as we're looking back on those films. They're not holding as well as some of his other ones. So I think he maybe feels a little bit of this outside, trying to find his way through here. This representation of what, and the, the, the Leo character is this representation of what it actually means to work and struggle and live in Hollywood. 
which then leaves the third character, the third part of him, which is that problematic part of him, that problematic part of Hollywood in general, which is represented in the Cliff Booth character. And I think that every problematic element of this movie is kind of wrapped into this character as well. We have uncertainty of his morals, we have uncertainty of his actions, we have uncertainty of his treatment of others, and yet he's played by Brad Pitt, and Brad Pitt's playing him in this kind of like cool movie star suave persona which allows i will speak for me to like kind of be like oh like he's awful this is a bad person but yet there are elements of him that i can get behind and root for and there are especially when we get to the third act of the film and he kind of takes the the lead in terms of protecting these other two ideals in hollywood and so i think that there's an interesting conversation happening between those three characters in this film and i don't necessarily think other than this idea that cliff at the spoilers not like specific spoilers but kind of like spoilers in general Cliff, at the end of the film, is sent off to a hospital, and the other two ideals meet for the first time. And I think that if there is something that Tarantino is trying to say with the film, it's somewhere in that relationship. And I would need to dig more into the film, but to me, the fact that Tarantino has something to say is why I love this film and why I really got on board with it. Well, it's also interesting because there's almost a moment where it's supposed to be that the Leonardo DiCaprio and the Brad Pitt are supposed to like, like the like. The end of the film that night is supposed to be like their last time, and then mm-hmm. after that, those two ideals are supposed to split away for good. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out that uh, I, I might need this still, or yeah. I still am this, even though I might be yeah. trying to push that away. Because even though Brad Pitt gets sent off to the hospital, Leonardo DiCaprio. I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. So it's almost like, well, this wasn't the last hoorah. You're still part of. And I think that that's where his interest in this film is. He loves Hollywood. Anyway, all those things. Um, well, that's I, where I responded to you. Yeah. I, I I left this film and I started thinking. Okay. How so? So I um I know that like, especially with my generation. My generation still really likes Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. I don't know about this newer generation. It's like, struggling. It's struggling, okay. Yeah. Um, and that might just be because the the film industry that isn't blah, 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 no. is also struggling. Yeah. Um, and so when I was watching this, because there are a group of younger people in this, and that is in the... that Those are represented by the Manson family. Mm-hmm. And I was watching it and I was like, are like, I, like I was really hoping though the younger generation was not a representation, was not represented through the Manson family. And I was never quite sure. Yeah. Because like there, uh, there's a scene between a couple of characters who are talking and they're like, well, we'll go forth and we'll just, we'll, we'll, we're going to bring down the people who taught us the violence, who is Tarantino in his own right. Yeah. And so, like, does he feel like the the younger population is attacking him forward? And so there was a lot of things there. And and to address that specifically, I actually kind of want to say yes. Mm-hmm. Because in a weird way, this is a deeply conservative film. Not conservative in the, like, way that we consider, like, 
political conservative spectrum but like in that old school generation of conservative where it's like no we get a little bit more protective we get a little more like get off my lawn you kids like kind of thing and i do think in some ways especially because in the casting of the manson family there is a ton of second and third generation movie stars children in that cast and so I, I don't think you're wrong in that interpretation. I do think that he sees them that way in, the, in that way. Oh, I don't I don't like that that much. <laughs> I don't necessarily think that it's like the most healthy interpretation or mm-hmm. view of them in the world. Yeah. But, it's also short shrifting the yes. younger population yeah. just by being like mm, Manson family because like once you put that label on it, yeah. it's it is it's real hard to get us to care. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so that, I think, is some of the elements of the film that are hard to connect into and some of those things there. And it's definitely a film that is probably made for an older generation because it does view the younger generation in that sense. And I wonder if, as people grow up in age with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, if they start to see it from a different point of view as well. I don't love the fact that he does just say the youth is represented only in this. And I will say that the other areas of youth that we see child. are the child who has reverence for him in his performance mm-hmm. and Sharon Tate and J.C. Bring, um, who are also presented as like, w- but like when you buy into the myth, we like you. So... Yes, there is that element to it as well. I will never once say that I think that this film is not problematic. I do think the film is problematic in that representation of youth. I don't I don't like that. But to me, that's one man's point of view that is putting on screen. And I get to choose to agree, disagree, or want to interact with it in some sort of artful way. There's I mean, a, we also haven't brought up Bruce Lee. The, the, yeah, I was going to say, the other two conversations are Sharon Tate and Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee, I think, is the most problematic element of this movie because of his representation. Whether it be a true representation or not of the Bruce Lee character, I think, of the Bruce Lee person, sorry, um, is irrelevant to the conversation. See, I didn't under... I Okay, so he has one major scene. Yes. And when I saw it, I thought it was a dream. And I've actually heard so many people having this conversation that we've had as well. And when it was a dream, when it was like him daydreaming... I took it as a perspective of, like, well, Brad Pitt's character is awful that this is how he views um, Bruce Lee because yeah. he is envious of Bruce Lee because he hears talk of, like, oh, it's the guy from Green Horn and is helping with the yes. stunts who is Bruce Lee. And so I took that as, oh, Brad Pitt is creating Bruce Lee as this monster character. Mm-hmm. And so, like, when I was watching it, I was like, yeah, that's a bad representation yeah. because it's supposed to be. Yes. And then you were like, I don't know if it was a dream. And I was like, oh, that's not as good anymore. And that's the other part of it, too, is because the other half of the argument is how I kind of took it, which is I think it's a flashback and I think it's an, an it's a heightened flashback because he the actions of that flashback are consequences to another part of the film. It's the reason he's not working. Yes, there's a heightened element to it because when you think throw a person into a car it doesn't dent and explode in the way that that car did so i think that there is some heightened element to it but i also think that yes it's a, a to, so like 
it's something that happened in some way, shape, or form. Whether or not be that specific thing, he got into a fight with Bruce Lee, and that's why he can't work on movies anymore. And so, I don't... Because I thought the reason he couldn't work on movies anymore is because he killed his wife. It's because... Well, yeah. (laughs) So, like... Yes, and again, this all goes into this conversation. Because within the... Within this scene, there is a there is a flashback slash daydream of Brad Pitt possibly killing his wife. Yes. Inten- and that's the reason <laughs> Kurt Russell doesn't like Brad Pitt to begin with. So there's just a lot happening. There is a lot going on. And, th- and when he says, don't let him near my wife, I thought it was because like because he killed a woman before. Yeah. <laughs> Not because his wife hates him. Yeah. So... All of that aside, like, that is all kind of, like, the weird, interesting, plotty elements to it. Either way you look at this, I don't think the representation of Bruce Lee is is positive or good or right in any way, shape, or form. I think you're making that character a stereotype. I think you are belittling one of the great figures in film history. And as I think... I don't know if I said this on mic or not, but if you then also take this to the wider context of Quentin Tarantino's career, you have his representation of Bruce Lee in this film and his representation of Bill as played by David Carradine in the Bill franchise. And he's got a lot of reverence for David Carradine over here who is not a good person by any way, shape, or form and is a white person... uh, appropriating the art form into America and then he doesn't show reference to Bruce Lee over here that is problematic to me and I don't think that Tarantino is necessarily a racist in that sense but I think that it's a racist representation in his film and as as, as hard as that is to say in a film that I really like it's there and it, I, I wish it was is not there um, the last thing to talk oh sorry did you have any more on Bruce Lee and that whole um, the last conversation point is on Sharon Tate. Which is a conversation point I don't know how to address. Okay. I have, like, I don't, I don't know how to feel about how this film goes. I, I just, I don't, I don't know. I will say that there's, so I guess I'll start with what the issue is and then I'll go with how I think I can read it and then what's making me kind of more okay with it. Okay. So the first issue is is that Sharon Tate doesn't have a lot of lines in the film, and there's a there's an argument to be said that she's not a full on character in the film. The representation of women in the film is small and almost insignificant to the quote unquote plot of the film. Looking at Sharon Tate as a big cultural figure, I think, is helpful in looking at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Because isn't she the idea of the loss of innocence? Yes. And that's all we... So, like, here's what I know about Sharon Tate. Yeah. Born in our area. Yes. Married to Roman Polanski. Uh Uh-huh. Victim of the Manson murders. Okay. And that's... And I knew she was a little bit of an actress. Right. But, like... I don't know. I didn't actually know she was, like, in a film and everything. And so, and I like that you referenced earlier, like, loss of innocence in that way. And mm-hmm. those, I think, are her cultural kind of touchstones for a, the majority of America if they know who she is at this point. Yeah, because, like, she, Sharon Tate herself feels like a significant character in our history, uh, the history of the 70s specifically, mm-hmm. not for who she was as a person, but rather for her death. Well, and the Manson murders themselves, represented by Tate, kind of for that end of the 60s, like, child flower power 
movement and into the 70s we go. Mm -hmm. So if that's the cultural context that we're coming into the film with, Sharon Tate, outside of the You Must Remember This Charles Manson's Hollywood series, is never really given any sort of voice or representation. She's always played as the victim. And Manson, throughout the history of telling of the story, has been made into be the interesting figure, the one that we explore, the more charismatic figure of it, the, the, like, the thing that, that society has glommed onto. Because he's the one committing the action, and yes. she is the one who the action happened to. Yeah. And... What I like about the representation of Sharon Tate in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is, no, she's not given a lot of lines, but yes, she's given a lot to do for her story. We don't know a lot about Sharon Tate, truth be told. We do know that she was an actress and that she was trying to go into Hollywood and that she'd made a few films. She'd had a couple of hits even, you know, but she wasn't like a big name star at that point. She was just big enough to be news when she passed away. Like, that's where she was. The, a lot of people, the first experience they've seen her in the film is is watching her in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when Tarantino was showing Tate watching her own movie. Mm-hmm. And so, by giving Tate this sequence, there's this long sequence where we go to the movies with Sharon Tate and we watch her watch herself. We are actually seeing what it is that she wants and represents and needs in her world and what's important to her. And we're not defining her as Roman Polanski's wife or as Charlie Manson's murder victim. We are defining her as a person with her own wants and needs. And I don't think that you necessarily need a line count or a word count in order to represent that. What she does, I think, gives Margot Robbie more to do in the part um, by making it be a more kind of physical performance, so to speak. Um, The other thing that's true is that Sharon Tate's family has openly come out and said that they appreciate this portrayal of Sharon Tate for those reasons. It gives her more of a voice than she's had before. Mm -hmm. And so I think that while, yes, I want to be open to saying women representation and representation of, of people of color and women in films, but it's not a blanket conversation. And that representation, I think, looks different in each and every film. Yeah, like, if you rewind the tape, when we were talking about The Farewell, we were like, you know, you didn't need that many lines for us to see yeah, yeah. <laughs> to get the characterization, so it'd be yeah. hypocritical of us to be here and be like, she doesn't talk too much, so I don't know how she feels. Yeah. And I think we do know how she feels. Anyway, so that's kind of how my brain wraps around the Sharon Tate issue in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. If you have a different opinion, I would love to hear it. And I think that there's... What I like the most about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the fact that it created this conversation. People went to the movies to watch an adult drama. And they're having an artistic conversation about this. There's a discourse about this movie. I'm on board with that. Whether I like the movie or not, and I happen to like it, I'm on board with the fact that there is a discourse that we can have. It's why, like, you had Midsommar at the, near the bottom of your list. I'm like, yeah, let's have more films like Midsommar. Let's create a conversation. Let's get $100 million worth of people to go see Midsommar, and then let's talk about that, too. Yeah, because all I can talk to is you and Sylvana. And Anne, but she don't, she don't really like it. <laughs> She's going to say, biggest waste of my life. 
Okay, number... I don't, where am I? Two. Oh, here we go. It's <laughs> Annabelle comes home. Ah, Annabelle comes home. We did it, everybody. We got here. <laughs> hey, everyone. So, the first Annabelle is garbage. Uh-huh. The second Annabelle is pretty okay. We got Lulu Wilson. Now, if you don't know who Lulu Wilson is, Lulu Wilson is... Oh, cute as a button. She's in... Oh, man. All I talk about is how much I like... Fl- Mike Flanagan. He's uh-huh. in Mike Flanagan. She's in Mike Flanagan's... Ouija Universe? board. <laughs> Origin of Evil. Okay, great. So the second one, the better one. Uh-huh. And she's also in the Mike Flanagan TV show universe. She now belongs... Haunting in Hill House. Yes. Um, also starring... I did not McKenna finish Grace. it. Okay, I am still like episode three. <laughs> I liked it! I just got distracted. Maybe let's make this our fall goal now. Maybe we need to, like, we need to binge it. Maybe no! I like way. our goal! Come on, we're gonna do this! Should we try again for fall, for spooky time? For spooky season. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I gotta start it over, because I forgot everything. <laughs> um. No, you leave that in and double it. Double it. <laughs> uh, okay, so the second Annabelle, better... Pretty, I, I, I think when I saw you, because I saw it up in Bothell, I came back, and I was like, so I saw Annabelle, I think it's called Creation, and I was like, for just, like, non-prestige horror, it was pretty fine. Yeah. Like, and then, here we are, and Annabelle comes home. This is pretty good non-prestige horror. Yeah. Um, I think the film itself, so the film has about five characters... Two of them shove off immediately. <laughs> yep. Um, the two characters who you were excited to be in this film. The only reason I was here. And I, I told you, after seeing the trailer, I was like, Josh, I think they'll be there at the beginning of the film and at the end of the film. And I was like, but I need the entire Patrick Wilson via Farmiga story. I need it in my life. These are my two. Which I think that one of the best things that this film could do is introduce a third character. Yeah. Of McKenna Grace, and if we can incorporate her, because the daughter is incorporated in the first one the most, aside for Annabelle, right? Uh, three, but in the second one, she's not really a character. I don't think she's even there. I don't but, think so either. So, like introducing this new character. So once our two characters, what I that? think that's because Conjuring Two takes place in Britain is a prequel, and I think Conjuring Two technically takes place before Conjuring One. <sighs> Because Conjuring 2 is smack in the 60s. Yeah, they reference Amityville, because that's where they start. And Amityville is also referenced as a thing they've already done in Conjuring 1. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) There's a timeline on the Wikipedia if we need it. Yeah, we're good, we're good. Sorry. We'll watch the whole canon and we'll try... I'm on board. Let's try and figure it out ourselves. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, the whole canon. Yeah, I'm fine. La Llorona. (laughs) Give me it all at this point. Um... Purge is ending. I gotta get a new horror, dumb horror franchise. <laughs> so uh, the so once our once our two our two Warren adults leave, we're left with these three characters. Who oh, there's another character, Bob. So in traditional <laughs> horror film, Bob serves the purpose that the um, women play in films. So you know, good job. Aside from one woman, yes. one woman may yeah. have some characterization to her. Fair. We're left with pretty much three women. Who, though, one of them we don't we don't love. We 
We understand. She has a purpose to it. She does. She <laughs> has a purpose, a function in the script, so to speak. She is the weakest of the two, but I really think that the other two, um, McKenna Grace and the babysitter, are two give very good performances. Yes. I like their characterizations. There are parts of this film, there are scares in this film that I think are really cool and interesting. Like, I, there were times, I saw this twice, where I was watching with Josh and I was like, Josh, you gotta keep your eye on the screen for this one. <laughs> and then when it happened, you're like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, uh, horror films. <laughs> yeah. um, th- th- it, it's nothing more than just a good time of horror. And if more horror films was were like this, where it's just fine and where it was just fun good stuff with characters i think that the horror genre wouldn't be looked at so uh, negatively but a lot of times a lot of the cheap horror films they don't care to take the time in any characterization this film did not do as well as they thought it made back its budget it's a horror film but i was a bit sad i wanted annabelle comes home to be the blockbuster hit that we need needed. I'm sorry. I know. It only made uh, 222 million worldwide. Only. <laughs> oh my god, $10 budget. <laughs> and seven of those dollars went to Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson. <laughs> yeah, they took scale. Um, I Yeah, I, I'm with you. That's why I like this movie, is there's characters, there's motivation to it. It's fun. And, and like... This, in a way, is that big summer popcorny thing that I wish would have hit bigger because I think you could have a lot of, you could have a good time with a film like Annabelle Comes Home. Now, I mean, I get why maybe the the diminishing returns because if people saw Annabelle and they saw Annabelle Creation, they're like, great, I get it, scary doll, I'm with you. Mm -hmm. But like, for me, I haven't seen either of those films, so I was only here for Patrick and Vera, and I had a good time. McKenna Grace. You act like oh, you oh, weren't yes. there yeah, for McKenna okay. Grace as well. Fair. Like, you constantly forget her. <laughs> um, okay, this film's biggest sin, besides character being a plot device, um, who I just dislike. Not the performer. The performer was fine. It's the character. Um... They gave Patrick Wilson a, a guitar, and they did not let him sing. They drowned out the the, the 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 singing with other things, and I'm very upset by it. Justice for Patrick Wilson. Orm should sing. Orm. <laughs> Bring back Orm. Bring back Orm. Oh no! All right. I, I liked. I liked it. It's I good. saw it twice. Kylie. Do you know how often I see horror movies? In theater more than once? Uh, very rarely. Few and far between. <laughs> yeah, because you'd already seen it, and then you're like, Josh, we have to go. I was like, Josh, you might like this. <laughs> I think I walked out and I was like, I think I loved it. <laughs> Listen, in the spoiler hole, in the like, biggest surprise of the summer so far, Annabelle Comes Home is higher on my list than Midsummer. <laughs> Prestige <So>. horror. <laughs> That is literally my review for this movie on Letterboxd. Two and a half stars. Prestige horror. Well, I think that's something creative that this film does, and if you've seen the trailer, not a spoiler, is that, yeah, the Annabelle doll is there. However, this film is not just focused on we only have to deal with this doll. There's a lot of things we gotta deal with. And to be fair, the film is also, like, it is setting up an entire spin-off universe Listen, here. Listen, give it all to us. <laughs> I will, every time you bring give me Patrick and Vera, I will be here. New Babysitter's Club. <laughs> Fighting these monsters. Oh, let's do that. There's I'm a werewolf. Board. The worst part is the werewolf. <laughs> yeah, but Bob's there. Bob. Good job, Bob. 
<laughs> All right. Um, my number two is Booksmart. Uh, um, Booksmart is a film that is... We talked about Hollywood for like a good 20 minutes and Patty's like, Annabelle comes home. Not much to say here. Sorry, do you want, do you want I, to talk more? I no, mean, there's nothing to talk about with my films, Josh. <laughs> Yeah, we also did a good 20 on the farewell, so... Yeah, because they were worth it. I should have just copied your list onto mine, and then we just... (laughs) Then we wouldn't have had a two-hour episode? No worries, Josh, no worries. (laughs) The big dog's coming. No, we already have a dog's journey. No, (laughs) Josh, my prestige is coming up. Okay. The prestige I saw that you did not. The prestige? Did you watch the prestige? Yeah, my number one is the prestige. 2006 (laughs) is the prestige. Yeah, it was playing at theaters. Came back. (laughs) The prestige re-release? Hey, I saw the trailer for... I saw you. What was I watching? Hobbs and Shaw, where I was watching all the trailers, and I was like, "There's no original trailers yet." And I was like, "I was like seven trailers in," yeah. and then like, "Oh, Christopher Nolan brought something weird." What is it? I don't know. It's like called. Bl- I don't know. Are you sure it's not the Sam Mendes film, 1917 or whatever? No. Oh, okay. I'm sure. It has. I don't remember his name. John. Wick. Washington. John Washington. Denzel's child. Oh, John David, David Washington. Washington. <laughs> I knew there were three things, and I had John and Washington, and I was like, Junior? <laughs> um, yeah, it might start with a T. <laughs> it wasn't. It was a teaser, so I don't actually know what the film's about. All right, John David Washington is the is the correct name. Okay. Let me just see if I write John David Washington, Christopher Nolan. We get Christopher new movies will star twenty twenty event, blah blah. Roe Pat's also in it. Whoa, what Batman? <laughs> <laughs> is it a Batman film? Uh, what it, the Tenant? Right? Is it called the Tenant? Maybe. Yeah. Starts with a T. Yeah. The. <laughs> Uh huh. So yep, I I was like, oh, Christopher Nolan's got my back. He's here. Well, he's one of the few people that can still like draw him out. Yep. All right. My number two is Booksmart. Uh, Booksmart barely qualifies for the list because it comes out on Memorial Day weekend. Yay! Um. I like this film. It's been a bit since I've seen it, and so I'm gonna try to like roll my brain back uh, a little bit. But I, this to me was just the epitome of like the start of summer, which is about like the last days of school, and like let's be all celebrating. I liked the characters a lot. I liked spending time with them. I liked the journey that we took. I thought the direction from Olivia Wilde was very, very strong and allowed the... She allowed for some style and some flourish. Specifically, there's a pool scene that I really enjoy. And there's a party scene that I think has a lot of style and substance to it in terms of the filmmaking. But she never lets it get in the way of these two characters who are played by Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Dever, I want to say how her last name is said. Um, and the film focuses on their friendship, and they are two girls who are at the end of their senior year, and they've studied, 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 and they've never had a chance to, like, let loose and party. And this is going to be their let loose and party night, and they're just going to go to town. And it it follows that trope 
uh, or that 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 story plot very very diligently. Um, there are some gross out things that happen. There are some witty clever things that happen. There are some good characters along the way. Billy Lord's character is like my favorite thing of all time. Go Billy Lord. She returns all the time. I liked her. I was laughing. I was enjoying it. Um, I got problems with her character. Oh, interesting. Okay, maybe I will enjoy her less. Who knows? Um. But yeah, I thought the film focuses on their friendship and just what it means to kind of graduate through high school. It is, it is, I don't think that the film itself, in terms of describing it, there's anything like, there's no like big heavy conversation attached to Booksmart. It's just a good time. And that's why I like it. It's up here at number two. Had I had a chance to watch it again, I probably have more thoughts on it, though I don't think my review is very helpful on more thoughts as well either. But yeah, Booksmart. You also saw this film. Yeah, I don't care for it. I know. I'm sorry. That's okay. I, I, I didn't laugh once. I think I, No, I laughed once. I don't remember what I laughed at, though. <laughs> it's okay. I'm so sorry. I'm not doing a great job of selling this film either right now, because I've, I feel like I'm kind of like, I'm like, I have like a little bit of like energy left in me, and I'm saving it for my number one. Um, because my number, Booksmart and my number one film are very similar films in a lot of ways. Um, so, yeah. But, I, the film didn't do very well in the box office either. It was a big flop for Annapurna, uh, who tried to open it wide, um, and thinking that they could, like, market it to teenagers to go out to the movies. And I don't think teenagers are going to the movies anymore. They're watching things on Netflix. Yeah. I didn't care much for Molly's character. That was something that was just really hard for me to watch. I hated her, maybe. Molly. Molly was, uh... uh Beanie Feldstein? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it... It's okay. It's alright. I, I felt, to me, that the film was really... I thought the film was relatable to the current generation a lot and I work with a lot of teenagers um, and, and to me the film felt like it was representing not in 100% of the ways by no means am I going to say that it's representing them in 100% of the ways but in terms of sensibilities and purpose and like how they feel and interact with the world and what some of the challenges they're dealing with much in the way that like a John Hughes film would represent those things for an 80s audience where it's not 100% correct but like we're getting some of the themes and we're getting some of the emotions right. I feel like Booksmart does that for this current generation and I think that is something that is an important piece of cinema that needs to be out there as well. There were two elements of it specifically <laughs> that I really just couldn't stand. Uh, one of them, there's a teacher character in this and mm -hmm. at first... I was like, this is a pretty good representation of the teacher. And then, like, the film continued to go and the teacher continued to be there. And then that's when I no longer thought, this is a good representation of a teacher. I mean, I don't teacher. think it's a good representation of a teacher by any means. But I do also think that the teacher character ends up understanding... The, her mistakes and I would never say that she I wouldn't say the film addresses that in a meaningful sort of way nah it makes jokes out of it yes um Billy Lord's character which if so Billy Lord's character at the be in the middle of the beginning of the actual plotting of this film quickly drugs our two main characters and we never really deal with it yeah and after that every time billy lord's character popped up i was terrified because i was like mm, she's gonna drug us and kill us this time around 
Um, so, like, that's a long scene, a long jokey scene. We never deal with things like that. Those were just two things in right. particular that I remember just being like, oh, okay, cool, we're still doing this. Yeah. Yeah. You're not wrong, and I think you're either on board with it or you're not, and I don't... I cannot specifically, like, with that character, like, as of this moment, I, I, I need to rewatch Booksmart because I've seen a lot of things in between now and then. Um, but I will say that for me, I, I, it didn't, it just didn't bother me that we weren't dealing with some of the things because it was like, this is, it's just the, it's the one night journey thing that we're dealing on and we're not going to mm -hmm. sit and deal with every little issue that comes up on this one night journey, which maybe we should. I mean, you know, but... And it, for me, these two characters, it feels like they would have dealt with it. With what yeah. the characters had been presented of being very much, like, part of the liberal movement and the awareness, yeah. being aware of things and, like, dealing with social issues, the fact that there was this social issue, which is a... Which is quite an issue. Yeah. They just were like, oh, it's fine. And I wonder, my only defense for the film would be, and I don't think this is even a great one. Um, they wanted to party. They wanted to party. That's <laughs> legit. Like, they, they were putting their inhibitions aside mm -hmm. for the evening. And they wanted to have the quote-unquote typical high school experience in whatever their brain was. And so that would be the only justification that I could even possibly bring to it. Like I said, it's a weak one at best. You got any uh, honorable mentions over there? Or, no. Yeah? Number one is... <laughs> I got some honorable mentions somewhere. Let me get back to my list. You don't have any, Josh. I have honorable mentions. The summer wrecked me. It didn't... It, it didn't... It doesn't seem to have wrecked you as bad as last year. <laughs> last year you were like, I quit. I'm done with movies forever. I don't want to watch them ever. Um, I wanted to shout out uh, a couple things that released earlier in the year that um, I couldn't include because we didn't get them till the summer but also I watched them like Her Smell which is an early year film but like it wasn't available to us until the beginning of the summer which I, th I think is a really good film that you should all seek out and watch as well um what else might be an honorable mention I have I, Gloria yeah. Bell I didn't see Gloria Bell I did yeah talk about like it like in April yeah well <laughs> There you go. Um, it's all, all is true this summer. I liked all is true. It's not great shakes, but like Kenneth Branagh, that's also a film that like didn't open until summer, but was was a while ago. There you go. Those those will be my two. I mean, there are other films, but like Knock Down the House doesn't fit that. I like that. I watched it this summer. It was good. It's on Netflix. Go watch it. Um, Always be my maybe. Yeah, it's on Netflix. It's fine. Go watch it. Is it an honorable mention at least? No, Josh doesn't like that film. I don't dislike that film. It's 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 barely a film. Like it's a it's a why did it's a Hallmark movie. Why did everything freak out then? Um, Is so it Keanu Reeves. That's something Keanu's we didn't talk about. The summer of Keanu. That Keanu Reeves became God. <laughs> well, we, we've already, we've already been on the Keanu bandwagon for a while, so everybody just <laughs> finally caught up to us. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So much so that they're like Matrix Four. Let's do it. I, that's that. This summer is why that happened, yeah, right? Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> like, we all... We all had a Keanu moment again, and part of it was Always Be My Maybe, and Keanu Reeves shows up as a small part and is funny. Always Be My Maybe, I'm not trying to, like, belittle it. I enjoyed watching that movie. I think that there are... I think that Ali Wong is a great comedian, maybe not the best actress in the whole world, but it is fine. I think that Randall Park is good in the movie. I like Randall Park. Um, 
the movie itself was a glorified Hallmark movie, and it just like it's nothing more, nothing less. It's a good time, but I'm not I'm not like over the moon in love with it by any means. And why the world lost its mind about it is Keanu. Keanu saves the movie. Is, like, that, he, is that it? He has a really funny part. I like the movie. Do not get me wrong. I just don't love it. Um, and then with John Wick, like yeah, we're like Keanu. He's back. Oh, and also uh, Duke was, Kaboom. Duke Kaboom. There's also like a video game where he's doing the acting for is he? a I character I don't remember this yeah you weren't you weren't there at trivia when I definitely thought it was that was the answer and and do you remember like Keanu's gonna be in some video game that's a thing yeah cyberpunk 70 yeah cyber cyberpunk 1984 <laughs> 77 <laughs> 77 <laughs> 2077. That's 277. <laughs> 777, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Summer of Keanu, it was a thing. Just like the Summer of Quaid. Okay, so I, so Dennis Quaid, uh-huh. and what's Dennis Quaid's wife's name in the film? I don't know, but it's, okay. she's, she's no longer alive. Okay, but still, hang on, I got a plot point for this, okay. though. Okay, so Dennis Quaid, Dennis Quaid's wife, Lohan 1, Lohan 2. Uh-huh. I don't know their names, but... Okay, so, so Dennis Quaid gets one of the Lohan child. So okay, so the the, the Lohan one, Lohan two, each have their own set of twins. So it's right. four kids. Yeah. So Quaid gets one. Why does Quaid get one? Well, I, we gotta get to a plot here. So Quaid gets one. Lohan one gets one. Lohan two gets are one. Their names are and, Annie and Hallie. Great. And then they're her actual children's names. Quaid's wife gets one. All right. So she's not alive anymore. <laughs> Who are, you, who are you bringing in to replace her? Okay, so here's the thing. Quaid's wife dies. Sad times for everybody all around. Okay, yeah. Why don't either of the fathers of the new twins get one? They're not around, okay? They're, Why? But I, listen, 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 producer. I know you want the answer to this question, but you got to let me pitch before I can get there, okay? Are you more interested in the men, or do you want to hear about the premise that I have? I think your premise is flawed. <laughs> Fine, whatever. How are you doing it? How are you setting up the parent trap again? I was getting there. I'm so sorry, go for it. Annie, Annie's husband... Hallie and Hallie's husband, or at least the fathers, they each get one of the four. And then the four have to find each other. Where's Quaid in all this? Where's Quaid? He doesn't need to be there. No! Summer of Quaid! You was Parent Trap 2! That's how we got here! No, Quaid is really what, like, ruins this mix. But the thing is, I don't think that Quaid's character would be, and Annie and Hallie would be stupid enough to be like, well, we'll split up our children again. I don't, like, those characters would not make that decision again. They made it once. Uh-huh. Annie and Hallie, though, did not make that decision. I don't think they would do it after realizing how it affected them. There's going to be a good reason. I don't know what that reason is yet, but there's going to be a good reason. Call on me. Yeah. We saw the stranger with my fate. What is it called? Identical, three identical strangers. Yes. Not the stranger with my face. Stranger with my faces. <laughs> the three identical strangers. Uh-huh. We learned why it's a bad idea to yeah. do that. So we're not going to do that anymore. 2019. Did, did, did the, did Lohan 1 and 2 see it though? Yes. <laughs> they were in it. They were in it? Yeah. Yeah. In their world, it's called two identical strangers. So that's about the Lohans? Yeah. Great. Perfect. Annie and Hallie. They, I've said their name like eight times. 
in the span of like two minutes. So what's your number one? Self, the art of self defense. <laughs> great. That's great. Okay, Josh, what's your number? No, one? you gotta talk about this one. <laughs> I got, I got nothing. So it's about, um, this. I, I quite enjoyed this film. I thought that this film was. This film was dealing with toxic mas uh, toxic masculinity in a very heightened sense, um, and in a very terrifying sense. Uh, the film itself is revolved around Jesse Eisenberg after he is um, mugged on the street, and he it no longer feels safe out in the world, and so he joins this uh, dojo in order to become more confident in his ability to protect himself the art of self-defense as mm -hmm. it is and he gets entangled with this character with the dojo master played by alandro nivola who mm -hmm. is one of the most terrifying uh characters i have ever seen and as you're watching this film uh you get you watch as jesse eisenberg's character kind of gets um, seduced into more and more of this toxic view of society and this more aggressive view. Um, the trailer has this scene that I thought was the most funny in a very ridiculous sense. This is a black comedy uh, where he's talking to his dog and he's like, I will no longer pet you because it will make both of us stronger as people because caring for another creature is not how you become stronger. Oh, poor puppy. It's for your best interest. And I remember just seeing that and being like, ah, uh, this is gonna be the movie that soothes my soul. And it was. <laughs> and it terrified me. Um, the film itself... The film is not showing necessarily the most authentic um, perception of how not dealing with emotions, not dealing with fear, how that can impact you. However, it does make a good point about it and it makes you think and at least consider it. Um, and it does it in such a heightened way to keep you engaged and interested. It's not like minding the gap mm -hmm. where very authentic, realistic. However, it is one that is opening up the conversation because it is so it is so out there with how it deals with things. Nice. Yeah. This was sadly one of the films that just due to time I did not get to see. Jesse Eisenberg was... Jesse Eisenberg is different than his... Jesse Eisenberg often plays those like super smart people whose arrogance get in the way. However, with this, he takes much more of a, t a timid sense. Um which I haven't seen much since Zombieland. Zombieland, however, is much more of a, like, oh, I'm afraid of zombies. However, you don't get as much of that fear. But I do think that his performance is this. is a lot more... It's a lot better than what we've seen from Jesse Eisenberg recently. Good. Like, you feel his fear and, like, his self-consciousness um, throughout the film. And as he gets more sucked into this dojo you get a little bit scareder of him uh imogen poots continues to play uh a, a, a wispy whispering girl who seems dangerous fair enough <laughs> don't talk to them don't talk to imogen poots <laughs> imogen poots every time i see her i'm always just like man she's trouble 
Okay, so I understand that some name, that all names are just like were like sounds. They're just like weird sounds put together to be names. Imogen. That's a that's just a collection of sounds. Like that's that's what that is. Imogen. Like that's a name. Wow. I don't know. <laughs> That's what I can add to this conversation. Was it was it helpful? Was it? Yep. To, was this review useful? This, yep. Great. <laughs> Imogen's just a collection of that. You should go and rate the artist's self defense and write that as your statement. When I see when I see <laughs> the art of self defense, I will. You're gonna be like, oh, Kylie was right. She's just a wispy whisperer. Well, yeah, I'm not <laughs> disagreeing with you on that sentence. The only time she's not is like, well, I'm sure there's other times, but like, pop star, she's not a wispy whisperer. She's his wife, right? Or his his wife for a hot second? Amber Wednesday. Yeah. Well, they never get. Oh, married. Oh, they never get married. Sorry. The yeah. <laughs> the wolves. <laughs> um. She kind of wispy in that one. A wispy whisperer. No, she's British. That's her character. Hello, I'm from England. Thank you, Connor, for real for giving me my dreams. <laughs> Will you have seals sing at my wedding? Was that a that was a spot on British accent? That right? was not even her in that film. That was. I'm sorry. Were you? The other example I'm thinking about is Green Room, where she's definitely a wispy whisperer. They're gonna get us. You made a terrible mistake coming back here. That's all she does. Well, she has serves her purpose. <laughs> wispy whisperer. What? She's gonna lead a film as a wispy whisperer. It's called The Wisp. She'd be like a witch, right? So the the remake of the Witches of Eastwick? Uh, no, <laughs> we don't need to remake that masterpiece. Uh, sure. Uh, we're gonna put who's who's in this? So Imogene Poots. Uh huh. Lady Gaga. Uh huh. Because she she'll take the the share role. Okay. We gotta have a singer. Yeah. Um, I just need one more woman. So who 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 are you trying to fill? Who well, who who is Imogen Poots? Okay, taking? who are the original three? Uh, it's Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. I don't even know if Michelle Pfeiffer's one of them. Great, I'm look, sure. I'm looking it up. All right. My computer struggling. Come on. Let's go, computer. Witches of Eastwick. Share. Susan Sarandon. Susan Sarandon and Michelle Pfeiffer. Okay. I think Imogen... Susan Sarandon. Oh, no. No, Michelle Pfeiffer. Is the Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. But, like, Michelle had a real whispery wisp. So, but, but whispery wisp. Okay, yeah. so you, you need Susan. Yeah, but she has that intense face. Okay, that like you, if you look at it too long, you might turn into stone. I got it. I know who Susan. You ready for it? Tiffany Haddish. Amy Adams. She's too nice. Well, oh, no, thank you. I don't want to be in this film. That's Amy Adams. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Thought you were with no, Tiffany. No, I want a, I want an Oscar. Well, she did <laughs> it for the remake of The Witches of Eastwick. Who's gonna play the devil? Sorry, who's going to play Jack Nicholson? <laughs> Jack. Jack. Jack's just going to come back and play. He'll, he'll come back? Yeah. <laughs> Dennis Quaid. Stop! <laughs> Gosh! <sighs> who's going to play the devil? <laughs> I don't know what was wrong with my answer of Dennis Quaid. Um, you need someone who's like super charismatic, 
So, like, the one that comes into my mind is Robert Downey Jr. Okay. Because, like, I mean, like, he has the energy of a Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Like, but, however, I'm afraid that if we do that, we're going to see too much of him just doing his Tony Stark, Sherlock Holmes, Robert Downey Jr., (laughs) everything. Okay, so, like, I I need an actor who, like, I know it's typecasting. I understand that it's typecasting, everybody. Donnie Yen? Michael Shannon. (laughs) <laughs> like I need an actor who I look at and go oh god I'm gonna die <laughs> she will kill me um hear me out okay. I got a good one okay Tony Collette oh actually I think she might be Susan Sarandon yeah that's a that's a solid one yeah okay. <laughs> dual role United States of Terra <laughs> Tony Collette is all of them <laughs> so it's every character is Tony Collette and then Imogen Poots yeah what if I just have Cher back as the Cher character I mean, I would like it. I just don't think you would. I mean, it's fine. I'm, I am hot take. You want you want the hot take here? Probably not going to see the Wishes of Eastwick reboot. Why? What if they get George back? Miller. Yeah, he directed the first one. Well, yeah. <laughs> so you're on board? Uh, maybe. You just don't want to see the things I want to see. <laughs> I will see it. I will see it. Tom Hanks says the devil. Oh, there you go. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Tom Hanks is David S. Pumpkins. <laughs> yes! On board. Here we go. Book it. Sign Gosh, it. What's your number one? Blinded by the Light. Okay. Uh, my number one is a film that I saw the most recently. Um, it is directed by... Hmm, I cannot say her name without butchering it. It's by the lady who directed Bend It Like Beckham. I'm going to say Grundair... Chada? Grundier Chada is what I'm going to go with. Um, she brings forth Blind by the Light, and it is a film that, by the end of it, I was just in some gross, cryy tears. Um, is a coming-of-age film about this young Pakistani boy named Javed. Young, he's in high school, he's 17, turning 18, he's going away to college soon. Um, and it's his, it's his story about finding himself and the tool that he does that is through the music of Bruce Springsteen. Now this is the third rock related film that's come out this year, um, behind, uh, Rocketman about the music of Elton John and yesterday about the music of the Beatles. And this is the music of Bruce Springsteen. And out of all three of those artists, Bruce Springsteen is probably the one that I have the least of a connection to. Um, I genuinely like some of his songs, but I'm not like a, a Springsteen head by any means. Like I'm not like going hard for Bruce by any means. Um, but this movie really won me over into what Javid's journey is into not only discovering himself, but discovering who he is in his family and how his family is a very traditional Pakistani family with traditional values. He is a Muslim. He is struggling with trying to find, balance his love of 
the culture that he he likes with the world that he lives in. This also takes place in a very small British town in the 1980s, and there is there is a lot of imagery with Margaret Thatcher that is really reminiscent, I think, of some of today's Trumpian images. Does it deal um, with um, the anti... Yes. Um, kind of Muslim rise yes. that was in Britain? There is a se- there's, there's two or three whole sequences dealing with the anti-Muslim um, issues in their town and in the city and stuff like that, and that is kind of where the film strikes its, its balance, because... I think in my review on Letterboxd, I say that it's like the most feel-good movie of the year wrapped up in all of the world's terrifying tragedies. Because that's really what it is. Um, It doesn't shy away from the fact that they live in a very racist society and that they they are belittled and tortured and and like they're punished every day for just being who they are like there is so many scenes about just showing this world and i think that that's where the music of bruce springsteen comes in very strong for the character of javed and for the movie itself because bruce's music as the film will tell you is about the pain and struggle that it is to just live in your everyday world and that is something that is very clear to these characters and very clear here it is it is full of wonderful performances, it's full of wonderful characters. I for a moment at the beginning I was like, okay, I'm gonna like this movie but not love this movie. Like it starts out a little kind of slow, but then builds and builds and builds to this really nice payoff of how we can try to find our own voice and why it's important for us to listen to voices that are different than ours and us to listen to people who are not like us and that is shown in the character of uh, Javed and uh, make sure I said that right sorry yeah Javed Um, and that is shown in him and his journey but it's also shown in how he finds solace in Bruce Springsteen and that he's a very different figure from what his life is and so I just think for me this film really brings together so many of the things that we are struggling with as a society but puts it in this very relatable kind of palatable package of this coming of age movie as well and it does hit a few beats to be familiar but I think in the ways that it looks at them and the way that it treats them it's very different every character is well-rounded there are times where you think that something's going to end up one way and then it kind of goes a different different direction and that's really nice um, there is a sequence to Born to Run, which is probably one of the like most joyous moments I've had in cinema this entire year. Um, just in general, Blind by the Light is a film that I'm I'm sad that is not doing well in wide release. Um, it it bombed pretty pretty hardcore. Um, not that I think there was ever any real great expectations on it, but I think it only made like five million dollars in its opening weekend. How is it, Haley? Um, Haley Atwell, um, really, I like her. She's great in it. She's a teacher. Uh, she is a teacher. Yeah, uh, she's a small part, but it featured an important part. Um, the cast itself um, is amazing. I, I like that from uh, the lead to his father to his friend to his mom to all like they're all wonderful, wonderful. Um, and and I'm not I'm not intentionally not saying their names. I just probably find it more respectful to say go find them yourselves than to try to have me butcher them and just because I don't know the proper pronunciations. It's um, Rob Brydon. 
<laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I've also got that B R Y. Yeah, uh-huh, you, treat, yeah. you treat the the Y like an I, Bryden. I've also got Nell Williams. That one I got down. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, I mean, everybody is really, really solid in this movie. Like a lot of my current uh, best of the years performances are coming from the movies I've talked about here, but a lot of a lot of us as well. Dean Charles. Chapman. Ooh, now I know hard. that there's that hyphen there. You don't pronounce the hyphen. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. But yeah, <sighs> solid movie. Blind by the light. I was maybe it helps that I watched it in a double feature with Perfect Blue and was crying for other reasons earlier. But we got two. I was drained. We had two Billy Elliots in these. Wow. Two Billy Elliots. Mm-hmm. This one. Yeah, so Dean Charles Chapman is a former Billy Elliot the Musical. Oh, okay. Billy Elliot. And then in Rocket Man, we had Billy Elliot the Movie Billy Elliot. Yep. It's almost like films about music star people. Oh, that's who Dean Charles Chapman is. He plays a small but important part in the movie. Matt. <laughs> yep. It's like his childhood friend. Right. Does this not all take place in childhood or teenagehood? Uh, there's a there's there's a hot second where they're like ten year olds. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then he grows up. So he's basically like, there is he's lives across the street, and they're like lifelong friends. But then because of the Bruce Springsteen stuff, they kind of grow apart for a second, and they have to come back together. He's the guy who's like, your lyrics are rubbish. Yes. <laughs> and he doesn't know who Bruce Springsteen is. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think this movie is worth watching. It is definitely, it is probably, it is my favorite movie of the year so far. It will probably end up in my top ten. Um, but I just think it's got a lot of good heart and soul, but it does it in that way of making it really relevant to today and so yeah I the director uh, she also did Bend It Like Beckham and she's done a lot of she's done a lot of other things there but between this and Bend It Like Beckham I think she's got a real grasp of understanding how to tell palatable stories about uh, non-palatable subjects so yeah okay this two and a half hour episode well gotta end it in the only way that we can Planet Hollywood game we're back to it Kylie Oh, I thought this is Star Wars, and I was like, I have a chance. <laughs> but it says sports. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Sarah. <laughs> what? It's a meme. I said, oh, no, Sarah. Yeah. Memes aren't allowed here. What? Since when? Uh, when do we ever do memes? Memes. We literally had a whole episode that was about memes. You made it about memes. I made it about film references. <laughs> well, either way. Oh. I hate both of these. You get to pick. Well, I feel like you can do one of them. Huh, really? Do you now? I don't. <coughs> Alright, well, name movies that take place in the jungle. Dora and the Lost City of Gold. The Jungle Book. Dang it. Uh, Tarzan. Jungle to Jungle. Um, oh, crap, I was gonna say Tarzan, Legend of the Apes, but that's Tarzan still. 
I mean, I might have cheated with Jungle of the Jungle. They don't stay in the jungle very long, but, you know, it's fine. They're there Indiana a little bit. Indiana Jones. Yeah, I was going to go with Indiana Jones next. Oh, crap. Oh, yeah. Mowgli. <laughs> <laughs> the Jungle Book, the Jungle Book, the Jungle Book. Mowgli. Jungle Puzzles. Uh, the African Queen also fits. I don't know what that is. Um, Velocity of Zed. Oh, I could have done that one. Yeah. 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 All right, friends. Well, if you enjoyed this conversation. Apocalypto. Mm, there you go. Apocalypse <laughs> now. No. <laughs> oh, okay. We're so good when the timer's not on. <laughs> I don't think we're doing that good. <laughs> Oh, oh, Jumanji 2, welcome to the jungle. Oh, I was there this whole time. <laughs> hey, friends, if you enjoyed this conversation, and why wouldn't you? You can do so at friendofafriendpodcast.squarespace.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Leave us a five-star review or any star review, so let's hit that subscribe button. <laughs> you can also find us on Facebook at Friend of a Friend Podcast and on Twitter at TWT underscore podcast. YouTube's. Let's watch together. Tumblr's. Let's watch together. Letterboxd. Don't forget to team Kelly Gelsher. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Josh. Kylie, quack, 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 qu